This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 201. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lumron Mayasha. And today we are worshiping at the altar of Shrine Comics because we have its founder, Jinshan Shumwai, who's also the creative director at Vanimal Games and letterer of fan favorite of the podcast, me and Roboco, on to discuss his manga and comics career journey, his lettering experiences, and so much more that's going on at Shrine Comics. They have a lot of exciting plans to celebrate their one-year anniversary, and we are going to dig into all of them in a really awesome interview with Jin. No, yeah, this was really fun. It was a lot of fun talking with Jin and, uh, you know, just uh, learning more about Shrine Comics and uh, really kind of uh, checking out what they have to offer. Um, I, I definitely need to, like, read more of uh, what's going to be available on the app. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, checking more of that stuff out. And, uh, yeah, it was just a fun conversation. We went we went on a lot of interesting tangents, uh, including talking about what we would do if we were to write our own script for Dragon Ball Evolution, a better version of Dragon Ball Evolution. It was, uh, st- st- stuff like that was, um, pretty fun to talk about. Absolutely. We just had a really fun time talking to Jin about his comics and creative projects and what he wants to do with Shrine in terms of me, like, just a really cool collective of awesome comics. And it's really exciting to see the stuff that he is doing. And, I am excited for y'all to listen to our interview with him. So it's time for our Napa Knee Slappin' interview with Jin. If me and Robico is a shrine to Shonen Jump, then its literal Jin Chan Yumwai is the priest that is responsible for delivering its message to all its followers. And Jin is a member of multiple religions. He's a polytheist because he also has a shrine of his own dedicated to his own comics and the comics of his collaborators in his website Shrine Comics, which has just celebrated its first year anniversary and has a ton of cool plans ahead to commemorate the occasion and to join us on to discuss about all his work in comics and manga is the man himself, Jin. Thank you so much for coming on the show to discuss your series, your work on Roboco, and all things comics and manga with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. What an intro. I was not (laughs) ready for that, but it was beautiful. Thank you. You deserve it. I mean, you really do a lot of different things, a lot of hats you wear, which are working comics and games and manga. It is seriously impressive. Thank you. Yes. I w- I'm a man of many hats. I don't know if I mastered any of them yet, but I'm d- certainly wearing all of them. Oh, yeah. Sometimes all at the same time, I imagine, <laughs> during particular... It's projects. always all <laughs> always all at the same time. <laughs> But yeah, Jin, thanks for coming on. Would you just like to just start by kind of introducing yourself to our listeners, you know, describing like just some of the work you do? Yeah, sure. Um, Like you said, I'm a man of many hats. Uh, For my day job, I'm a creative director at a video game studio uh, called Vanimals. We're currently working on an indie title called Undying, 
which is currently in early access on Steam. Um, and we have plans to bring it to Nintendo Switch, um, the Xbox consoles and PlayStation consoles uh, sometime this year. So there's that. But in, in terms of what's most relevant to the podcast we're on at the moment, um, I'm also a letter, another letterer from Shonen Jump. You just had an amazing uh, roundtable that I listened to last week. Uh, so I, I work on the series Me and Roboco. Um, I'm new to the game, so everybody else you spoke to is a bit more experienced, but there's that. And then also I'm a publisher and a creator of manga. So I run a website that publishes web manga or web comics called Shrine Comics. And um, I do a series on that called uh, Zero, the King of Thieves. I've also done a series previously called High School Romance, which is also on Shrine Comics at the moment. So I do a lot. Oh, absolutely. And you say that you're new to the lettering thing, but, you know, in lettering your own comics, you've been honing that craft for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've been a, a bit of like a, a lettering, uh, what's the word? I've been a fan of lettering in general, though my original love for lettering came from Western comics, not manga. Mm -hmm. I love like uh, how they do lettering in, um, you know, like Marvel and DC books and using Illustrator to do some really cool bubbles and stuff like that. And sort of that passion sort of transferred over into the manga lettering eventually. Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to start is your interest in lettering. Like, I mean, what specific creators or books really got you going, wow, the le- art of lettering comics is incredibly cool and interesting. And I want to learn how to get really good at it. Um, It's funny, like, it all started off with me making wanting to make my own comics. And I, I noticed that like, you know, I won't name names, but I won't call out anybody in as well. But when I've noticed that in a lot of the indie comic spheres that I was around at the time at like going to the local comic cons here and stuff like that is that a thing that really stood out about indie comics in particular was lettering was not very good. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I think it's sort of a bit of an afterthought. Like everybody does like really amazing art. And then one thing that used to distract me was just like, terrible balloon placement and um bad font choices like using times bad font Roman choices <laughs> and stuff like that um really long ovals mm. you know like you really i think there's an art to like what kind of shape you want with the ovals and it was super distracting to me and so i basically uh would comb through my issues of ultimate spider-man deadpool like the reese well, I wouldn't say recent, like over the last 15 years, Deadpool has its own sort of style when he talks, like his his bubbles are different to everybody else's. And I was like really paying attention to this kind of stuff and um, was, um, I was just honing my craft really, just like looking at all the comics. And I'm not sure if they still have it, but Comic Craft used to have tutorials on their website about how to letter properly using Illustrator. Yeah. So I was doing that, but there's one letter in particular, let me just see if I got my, I'm going to Google it. Um, <laughs> I think his name is John Workman. I don't know if you're familiar with John Workman. Um, uh, yes, John Workman lettering. So he became most famous for lettering Thor. Uh, yeah, Walt Simonson's Thor run. Mm. He did the lettering for that. And then he ended up doing the lettering for... Um, so how I figured out about him is he was doing the lettering for Archie's Sonic. Oh. And he used hand lettering. Even it, to the very end of Archie Sonic, he was still hand lettering, which I thought was crazy. 
But he has like a really unique style where like the bubbles would then bleed into the border, uh, like the the panel border. Yeah. I don't know if that's making sense. No, it does. I mean, I've seen you emulate that style in your own comics, especially in high school romance. Yeah. So I did it in high school romance because I love it. I love it so much. Um, I haven't done it so much with Zero at the moment because I think the style was sort of different. Because when I first started doing high school romance, I thought of it as a Western comic instead of a manga. But um, I guess just to my natural drawing style, people thought I was drawing a manga when I did that. So I sort of like changed how I was presenting it or how I was promoting it. Like before, I would say this is my indie comic series, but then it was becoming more apparent that people were more interested of saying if this is my manga but yeah so john workman was the one who first started doing those bubbles and i love them so much that's sort of like the first time that i just you know remembered somebody's name because i noticed he was the only one doing it but yeah i hope that answers the question i tend to ramble No, it does answer it and i am actually familiar with workman's work from the early 2000s run of spider girl which i really enjoyed and yeah i can definitely remember Like those stylistic quirks of his that you're mentioning. Because, yeah, that really appealed to me about the lettering in that series. Yeah, it was just crazy to me that uh, he's just kept hand lettering. Like when digital lettering sort of took over, you know, the whole industry, for some reason he was still hand lettering. I I don't know how they put that in their workflow because he has to get the physical pages. But yeah, he was doing that. So that was, that's very cool. There's something special about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the craft of just doing hand-drawn lettering in such a consistent way uh, and continuing on to do that in his career is really impressive. But, you know, mentioning your, like, influences in Western comics and the Sonic the Hedgehog comics, you know, that really does show a lot in your early work and especially, like, going through your Deviant. A lot of your early comics were, like, definitely Sonic-inspired. You did, like, a Spider-Man versus Doc Ock comic. It was really cool stuff. Oh, yeah. I love that Spider-Man versus Doc Ock. <laughs> I, I made that comic specifically to show to publishers at Comic-Cons. Oh, nice. I was like, this is sort of what I can do. Um, so, yeah, I think a character that if somebody said, like, oh, do you want to draw Spider-Man? I would drop everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your action shots really shown through in those pages. Like, incredibly impressive. Thank you. Thank you. I look back at those and cringe now, so it's good that people <laughs> can still see. Well, I think uh, every artist looks back at their early work and like, man, I would have done this so differently now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you've been drawing comics since all the way back, but I think we'll go in more into your like comics development history. But first, we'll pull it all the way back to your anime and manga influences. We've talked a little bit about some of your like western comics influences but like where did your anime and manga fandom begin so this is an interesting one so i grew up in china um my mom was working at the embassy there so i spent from three to ten years old living in china and so i think looking back at it now i didn't realize i was watching anime it was just what was on tv so the the most popular cartoons that were on TV at the time were Captain Tsubasa and Dragon Ball. But even then, Dragon Ball, it was on TV. I'd, I'd always kind of miss it. Ultraman was the other huge one, and that's still huge in China. So the main things I was drawing as a kid was um, Ultraman and Captain Tsubasa. And my dad would go to Japan often just for a holiday, and he would he would always bring back Dragon Ball stuff. So I had... Dragon Ball toys, I had Dragon Ball posters, I had Dragon Ball t-shirts, 
So I knew these characters, but I had never really watched the show before. I just knew it was cool. And living in China, I was like really into Journey to the West as well. So I just thought it was some weird spin-off of Journey to the West because obviously Goku is, you know, Wukong. But, you know, I don't know what they call Goku in China is Sun Wukong. He has the exact same name. Oh, interesting. So in a weird way, I thought it was the same character, just like a modern... And I guess it is, but I thought they were more related than they are. I mean, Toriyama did base early Dragon Ball off of Journey to the West, even if those influences sort of get dropped later on. So, you're not totally wrong. You're just watching Dragon Ball the whole time going, man, I wonder when Goku's going to meet Song Wukong. (laughs) Well, like I said, he was called Song Wukong, so I knew that it was him. But it was more like, when is he going to meet Zhu Bajie, which is Pigsy? And um, like, it was so weird because um, Oolong in Chinese, uh, his name isn't. So Goku's name is only the only character that still references Journey to the West, like one to one. And so Oolong being this pig, I was like, why isn't he called Zhu Bajie, which is Pigsy's Chinese name? Because they just call him Oolong in Chinese as well. So I was very confused. That's interesting. Like they change Goku's name to match his Journey to the West inspiration, but none of the other characters. And I feel like Oolong would have been the most like obvious one to map on. Like he's literally a pig. So he's literally a perverted pig. Like he is that character. But I think the way that it worked out is Oolong's name is written in katakana or hiragana. So if their names are written like that in the original manga, they found Chinese characters that sounded like those names. But Goku's name is written in the Chinese characters of Sun Wukong. So if if they use the Chinese characters written as their name, then that's the name they use in Chinese, if that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it does. So I imagine like the shadow dragons perhaps kept kind of their naming convention as well. Potentially. I think GT, when I left China, GT might have not have started. I can't remember. But yeah, so that that was where my love of Dragon Ball came. But I, at the time, didn't really know what it was. But I think... There's something special about Toriyama's art in the sense that it's very copyable, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you can you can sort of like match his style quite easily, the way he draws eyes and there's the way he draws hair and like the shape of the head and stuff like that. Um, obviously, as an adult looking back, you see the genius of how well he actually draws these characters. But like as a kid looking at these characters, it's not daunting to copy them. Like if you were, this is a terrible example because you wouldn't look at this as a kid, but if you're looking at Berserk, right? Right. You wouldn't look at that and go like, I can draw that character because it's just <laughs> super detailed. It's overly complex complex and <laughs> Mura's level of detail. And I, I felt similarly about like Western comics as a kid, you know, the art in that those books were like very uh, detailed in terms of the musculature of characters. So it felt a little daunting, especially the backgrounds also would be much more detailed. That is what the beauty of a lot of manga and especially Toriyama's art is that it is very much focused on simple, easy and clearly identifiable figures and shapes that you feel comfortable being like, oh, I can look at that. I can identify those shapes and break them down and start to learn to draw them myself. It doesn't feel as overwhelming. It's like the more complicated forms of like more complex uh, anatomy uh, of the Western superheroes and stuff. I mean, especially especially when you're like drawing that stuff week to week too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I especially agree with you because I have a very similar story of like, for me, like Toriyama and Dragon Ball, like 
those were some of the first comics that I would kind of try and copy and draw from. Like, I would look at characters and try and draw so much fan art. And so many uh, of, like, my original, like, comics as a kid, when I was, like, trying to make my own comics, were super inspired by Toriyama's sense of panel layouts and his design sensibilities to the point where I have OCs that are, like, literally just <laughs> rip-offs or, like, heavily inspired from Dr. Slump characters. Well, it's, it's funny, like, I think Toriyama's art style is, like, the original character creator in, like, video games now, because, like, it's, like, it's the same face and body. You're just changing the hair and changing the clothes. No, <laughs> it's yeah. Like sort of, obviously, it's more nuanced than that, right? right? Like, if you, if Toriyama drew Vegeta with no hair and Goku with no hair, you would still be able to tell the difference between the two characters. But as a kid looking at it, it's like, they have the same face. Yeah. No, he reuses uh, shapes and faces uh, and body types a lot, and mm-hmm. even though, like, the way he mix and matches, like, different design elements keeps every character looking distinct from each other. But you can pick up on repeated motifs. And certainly Toriyama himself would not be shy in calling himself out on some of his repeated design quirks. Like, there's a very notable chapter of Dr. Slump where the entire premise is one female character can impersonate another because the only difference in their design is their hair styles so (laughs) that was a good one yeah very funny one i think as a toriyama is my spirit animal (laughs) because he just any every interview you hear with him he's like talking about how he can be as lazy as possible yeah and you see like it's so different to like the modern shonen jump creators at the moment just think about like you know the detail in say black clover or my hero academia or one piece there's no way toriyama looks at that and goes i want to do that (laughs) he's like if i can do this with like you know five thousand percent less lines i will yeah it's really all about communication like what is the simplest and most efficient way to kind of communicate your ideas and finish a page which i think is like a smart way to draw comics which are so labor intensive and time consuming Mm, how do I convey the idea that Goku is transforming into some? I get, I got it. Just don't ink his hair ever again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's one less thing I have to do a day. Yeah, it's genius. I, honestly, I, I think that's like one of the smartest things he's ever he's ever done. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. And to think, like, I don't think he realized the cultural impact he was going to do by doing that. But like. Um, <laughs> No, but I can definitely see like so much Dragon Ball influence and Toriyama influence in your art. And as well, a lot of that similar philosophy of like, how can I do things most efficiently? Yes. Uh, You've put that the nicest way possible. When when it, for me, it's like, how do I cheat? No, but you do it in such a very (laughs) stylistic and really appealing way. For example, you using like different color tones in every chapter of high school romance rather than just doing them as full color chapters like i heard you talk about like your idea behind that is like you know you want to give like each chapter you know a little bit of flair not just be black and white but you know doing full color is really time intensive but i really love the way you did it because it really made each chapter pop and feel like you know really distinct and the colors the different color choices felt like it helped communicate a mood to the specific chapters which i know like wasn't necessarily what you're going for because you were just interested in like the rainbow aesthetic of like going through the different colors but it worked out really well 
Yeah, but it did it did kind of work because the last chapter is the most dramatic and the purple really brought that yeah. out. Like I, I think it was a happy accident because it gets dark like the story gets darker and then like the last two chapters are blue and purple and they just sort of brought that darkness out. Yeah, it was a happy accident uh that it sort of worked out that way, but I'm glad you noticed that like you, you did point out I when I first originally did high school romance, I think I have the first five pages somewhere on my computer fully in color. And it was just taking too long. I was like, how do I do this? You know, this is there's a reason why on Western comics they have like five people working on a series at a time because it's just so time consuming. Yeah. And so I I definitely wanted color because I wanted to stick out. So this is, you know, something that bring back to what I was talking about, the lettering as well. I noticed a lot of indie comics were always in black and white, and I really wanted mine. I really wanted it to stick out like this is not your average indie comic. Um, that's not to say that indie comics are bad in general, but there was it was a choice that I was making to make sure that like it's very easy for people to just walk past your table like at a con. And so I was like, if I have these rainbow colors or whatever, it might stick out a little bit more. So yeah, I was really thinking about that when I was doing it. Yeah, I was really smart because it really does catch the eye. Me and my friend Vix were commenting like on, you know, your use of pink in the first chapter and how like it really kind of conveyed like kind of a soft, like romantic, almost shoujo-esque vibe that we really appreciated. And I like that you do get a different feel with your color choices in every chapter as the story progresses and different chapters can take a swerve into like different situations. Like in the second to last chapter, you know, you start to get a little more action scenes with the characters, you know, kind of... Yeah. Uh, fighting like some of Elliot's goons and then Spender like about to fight the Asian kids you know it's really cool stuff one of my proudest moments in all of my comic making career is that second last chapter um because I set up the joke about the Asians <laughs> on the very first chapter and it was something that I was building up to the whole time yeah <laughs> <laughs> I hope it landed. I know most people that I've talked to who've read it just like laughed out loud when they finally got to that page when I revealed that they actually do know martial arts. It's pretty, it's quite funny. <laughs> Especially, you know, like Sanders is like, ah, so you do all know Kung Fu. And then, you know, each of them clarify, oh, well, no, I know in Jutsu and I know Tai Chi. And then, but like Lee is like, uh, yeah, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> and then the reason they're all working for Elliot is because he's going to sponsor their League of Legends team. It's also a good joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad my jokes you know landed with some people. It's it's hard to tell. Um, I don't know if you've ever done anything like that before, but if you you think you've done something hilarious or something funny and i would give my like the graphic novel to somebody and watch them read it and they get to that page and there's their, their face doesn't change at all like nothing you know no smile no giggle <laughs> nothing and then they close the book and give it to me and go that was funny i'm like was it though was it though it was <laughs> no the anxiety of like just watching someone like review your work and like trying to see if like something you put in there landed with them and they have like a nonplussed inscrutable expression and then so you're like yeah did they actually like it even if they say they liked it you know you're you're constantly second guessing yeah but no nah. Yeah, it's it's the worst. It's the worst. Though I got over it a little bit. Um, Brian Michael Bendis came to a local con, and I wanted to get feedback, so I get let him read the first chapter, and he was laughing at the joke. So I was like, okay, if I can make Brian Michael <laughs> Bendis laugh, then this there's, there's got to be something here. So oh, that's incredible validation to get from like a super accomplished comics writer. 
Yeah, I really wanted I I really wanted him to retweet my thing. Like I was like Brian Michael Bendis, and he laughed. Please retweet. And he, he never oh. retweeted. So uh, you know, it, it's just only I know what really happened. <laughs> Alas, brush with someone you really look up to in the industry, but uh, that fleeting moment is still very special. Yeah, there's one. Um, I like to flex this a little bit. So do you do you know Tom Taylor? Oh, I don't sadly. Me neither. Um, he he wrote the Injustice tie-in comic, and he's currently doing the Superman run with the son of um, Clark Kent, the bisexual. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I saw that going around. I do want to read that. Yeah, so uh, he's an Australian creator, and so I met him at a con once, and I gave him high school romance. I said, "Oh, you can give this to your kids to read." And um, his son read it and was like really enjoyed it. It's like, "Oh, that was great." Well, he yeah, he sent me a message. He's, um, he said, "My son read it." Uh, he said it was really good. And then his dad says, guess what? I know the creator of that comic. And he's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird. It's so weird that like Tom Taylor, who works on Superman, is flexing that he knows me to his oh, son. That's, wonderful. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always nice to know like you're someone's biggest fan or someone's your biggest fan. Like, it's great. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about the internet at the moment is that people can share their love for your stuff straight to you. Um, obviously, when you get super popular, that can also be a double-edged Ooh, yeah. sword. But Oh, absolutely. And I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, I mean, to also go back to your Dragon Ball instance on your work, I mean, I super see that in Zero King of Thieves. I mean, there's a huge, like, journey to the West influence, especially, like, with his Pogo uh, pole like being kind of like the neo bow and him also having like you know a bancho fan that he uses i really appreciate it yeah it's my love letter uh, yeah it's funny when people say it's like a dragon ball reference I mean, it's actually a journey to the west reference but i'll let you have that <laughs> um yeah i think zero is my love letter to toriyama really like you know, people say it's it's very similar to Dragon Ball. I do think the story, like, I think the tone of the humor and stuff is similar to Dragon Ball. I do think, it, you know, story-wise, it's quite different. It's actually closer to One Piece than it is to... Yeah, no, when I was reading the opening page, I'm like, like, oh, this is like a take on One Piece, but this is like imagining what would happen if Luffy did become the King of the Pirates and what would his next adventure be? Which I found super interesting. Yeah, for me, <laughs> I made a joke once. So when I originally, the joke was, is I don't think I'll ever see the end of One Piece. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I might as well just draw it myself then if no, I'm never going to see this end. But it seems like I might see it in my lifetime. But um, that was sort of the motivating factor of why I wanted to do this story. And I think it comes across that it's like, be careful what you wish for sort of thing. Like he's done this incredible journey, but now he's gotten to a point where, you know, he's, I don't say regretting it, but like, you you know, it's, it's not what it's all up, you know, everybody thinks if you're the king of something, then it's going to be like, you know, everything's going to be great. But once you get there, there's still more. So I'm explaining this terribly. Uh, This is why I draw the comics. No, no. I think that comes across here. And it came across clear in the work. It's like Zero, you know, he became the King of Thieves. But then, like, what really changed? Like, he has this big reputation now. But there's still not an end point to his journey. Because now he has this new journey of looking after Bag. And he still needs to keep stealing. And he needs to fight bigger and bigger scores. And, like, what will be the end game of that? Like, if he keeps needing to steal higher and higher value items. Is it just going to go on forever? Like, his, his journey. And so I definitely got a sense of that in the story, and I find it really interesting. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so I'm very proud of that series. Yeah, 
I am really looking forward to where it's going. But yeah, and also I do want to say like, yeah, the setting uh, of the first chapter in particular, where it's like kind of a mountainous range and a road uh, where the truck is driving through that Deer is trying to steal the crown from. Like that did remind me of like settings Toriyama did in some of his later series. Like it it brought back to mind like Sandland and Kajika for me in terms of setting. Yeah, well, yeah, you got it. You hit the nail on the head. It was it was Sandland inspired. Yeah. No, I definitely also got that from Zero's design. That same kind of sort of demonic look sensibility with like his horns. And I also felt like his hair was very reminiscent of Goku's too. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely going to be a lot of similarities because we both get inspiration from Chinese culture. So no matter what, I think there's things are going to sort of line up there. Uh, I've, I've completely lost my train of thought now. Um, what was my point no, no, I was trying? I mean, you're both drawing from very similar mythologies and motifs. So there's going to be like very clear design and uh, story sensibilities. Oh yeah, the demonness, like with the horns and stuff. I, I was trying to channel the the Chinese demons, so Yao Guai. So in in Journey to the West, what Wu Kong and the group are fighting along the way are demons, and so Zero was supposed to be, you know, a tribute to those kinds of demons. Um, and I think that's very similar to what Toriyama was probably going for in Sandland as well. Yeah, and that's so interesting also to combine the hero of Sun Wukong with like the demons he fate against and like your protagonist as well. So yeah, that, that that's what I was going for there, and there are more characters along in those veins coming in the future of Zero. Nice. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. But also continue on the Toriyama inspiration train. You know, I saw recently on your Insta that you've started writing a live action Dragon Ball movie script for fun. Yes. And I just gotta ask, you know, how's that been going? What's that like? And you know, has it made you think about like the story and how it's constructed from a new perspective as someone trying to like kind of write and reconfigure it in like this whole new medium? Yeah, it's it's been really interesting. Um, so it's, it's coming along very slowly, obviously, you know, I'm very busy. So I just sort of tick away at it when I have time or I have thoughts, I just sort of write down notes. So currently at the, I'm just trying to figure out what happens in the movie. Like I'm just, these are like writing down the major plot points that I want to tackle and how they're going to be constructed in the movie. And it's, it's really difficult. Um, I think mm-hmm. anime movies, especially if they're being made, well, anime, oh, maybe not manga adaptations into any medium seem to be like they're always one-to-one. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. when manga usually gets turned into an anime, it's usually following the manga one-to-one with filler in between here and there. So in a sense, I'm trying to tackle this as if it was a Western adaptation. And and I don't mean it in the way that like Dragon Ball Evolution was, where it's like completely bastardized. But the idea of like how Marvel basically adapts their stories from the comics, right? Like Civil War is the same premise but they play out very differently Mm. in the comic versus the movie. So I'm trying to look at it that way where it still feels like Dragon Ball, but you're not just watching a one, like if you were watching, I don't think the movie will ever get made. Maybe, I don't know. Um, But you're just not watching one-to-one because if you do one-to-one, the original source is always going to be the best. And also just doesn't work format-wise for film because it was written as an episodic thing. So it works for like the serialization format of anime and manga. But as a movie, you're probably going to need to restructure the story, you know, to just fit the format better. Yeah. So um, I think in a lot of ways, the movie will play out more like the Path to Path Power to Dragon Power. Ball movie. Yeah. 
um, than it would anything else. So the main antagonist that I, I've sort of landed on at the moment will be the Red Ribbon Army. But I do want to bring Pilaf and his gang in as well. So I think the way I'm sort of tackling it is Pilaf and the gang act sort of how they are in Dragon Ball Super, where they're just sort of like, they're trying to ruin stuff, but never eventuate. So they're sort of like comic relief. Comic relief, secondary to the main villains that are the RRA. Kind of like in the early Red Ribbon Army filler that like kind of had them go against the Red Ribbon Army for a little bit, you know, competing over a Dragon Ball. So yeah, something something along those lines. Um I really want to put the Uzaru in. So I do like, so the reason why I want to peel off as well, because I, I like how the first arc ends in Dragon Ball, but I don't think it works for a movie because there's no huge conflict there. Like it's Goku terrorizing everything and they're trying to bring Goku back, but he's not, there's no fighting. So you really want to put a bit of fighting in there as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a mix and match. It, so Toriyama never planned any of his work right and so what i think works really well for say marvel movies now is hinting at what's coming at the future and so i'm curious to hear what you guys think i'm considering teasing the super saiyan transformation in this movie even though it's very early but obviously he won't go super saiyan but teasing it too an extent yeah Hmm. i've asked multiple people that some people think oh that's really cool and some people think that like no (laughs) don't do it at all because (laughs) um so in the climactic so the final move will be a kamehameha obviously Mm -hmm. that's the big climax um so currently i have it written down that his eyes will turn green for a slight second and then go back okay and so, yeah, some people are like, oh, but he's nowhere near that, right? Like, because you still got the way that if if this were to say turn into a series of movies, I wouldn't have the transformation till way later. But I like the idea of planting the seed now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a glimpse, a hint of Goku's underlying potential. Honestly, that would get me excited. And the transformation isn't tied to strength necessarily. It's tied to kind of an emotional awakening. And also that same idea was used in the path to power. We were in the climax, like we see hints of Goku, like channeling a Super Saiyan like rage, like hinting towards that transformation when like he gets sad at Aider being killed by Black. So no, I think it totally can work. Yeah, he definitely gets that power boost. You know, actually, uh, I just thought about this. So, you know, you were saying how, like, you know, the Ozaru stuff, as it's done originally in the series, probably wouldn't make for, like, you know, a super great, like, climactic end of the movie or whatever. But honestly, I think uh, I would really love to see a live-action Dragon Ball movie where Goku turns into an Ozaru and maybe it just becomes, like, a kaiju movie for, like, a couple minutes or something. I think that might be kind of an interesting turn to take. I, so I, I like where you're heading with that, and I do kind of... I think that the Uzaru transformation is part of the climax, but it's not the the end. I mean, you can integrate it also into maybe the hinting at Goku's Super Saiyan potential. Kind of like how in GT, like when Goku is transformed into the golden great ape, you know, and Pan is able to get through to him, that brings him senses and he's able to de-transform any Super Saiyan form. Now, I mean, in this case, like you probably can't go to the sense of like he de-transforms at will or anything, but like maybe him coming back to his senses and then the combination of like that allows like other characters to get his tail out, you know. Once he's in control of his own strength, then, you know, that'll give him kind of that little spark that is needed to unlock that hidden power that comes out through Super Saiyan in the remainder of the climax. 
Obviously, this is not a real movie, so I, I can talk about it however I want. Maybe in 20 years it will be. <laughs> oh, maybe. So <laughs> You never know. I, I might as well, like, drop things and see what people think, you know, through your audience and stuff. So the idea that I had is that, like, Uzaru would fight, you know, the big robot at the end of Path to Power that mm-hmm. um, yeah. Commander Black was... Yeah, they fight and basically Uzaru wins the fight and then Goku's friends would then cut off his tail and then he would turn back to normal so in in that fight would be over but then commander black would then point all these cannons at goku and his friends and shoot them all at once and then the kamehameha is what he uses to block it so he sits there and that's and it's also the first time he uses it successfully in the film Mm -hmm. yeah no i I like that idea. idea So it's like a the, the end is the beam struggle against it and all the red ribbon army cannons. And then there's the hint of the green eyes just for a split second and then poof. Yeah. I think what would be cool is, um, you know, I like the idea of like doing a Dragon Ball movie that takes place in that early era of the series. But like, you know, incorporating like the Ozaru stuff, maybe in a similar way where like, May, 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 I don't I don't know if it'd ever work. Maybe have like the climax of the fight, maybe sort of mimic some of the intensity of like the climax of like the Saiyan saga in particular, where it's just like everything is just so desperate. And maybe you maybe you pull out the Ozaru stuff for like as a last ditch thing. Maybe that gets thrown away and then have the Kamehameha. Yeah, like something like that. I don't know. It, it makes a little more sense in my head the way I can kind of like envision it. Yeah, I mean, the Azaro transformation being kind of unlocked during a time of crisis makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, that makes sense because like it happens to Goku multiple times, you know, like the Super Saiyan transformation happens because of Krillin's death. And then, you know, also you got hints with Gohan. So it stays within line. But I think um, I think the action part and like the climax part is probably the easiest part of the script. Right. Because it's like, oh, big fights now, fun, fun, bang, bang. But um, it's the humor that I really want to translate across. And also, yeah, it, <laughs> you can't have full Dragon Ball humor. Um, I, I friends, Some friends of mine want the Bulma no panty scene, but I don't think it'll make it for whatever reason. That would make a movie uh, PG-13 at best. Provided the character is not <laughs> underage, which ho- hopefully they would not be. No, they would definitely be aged up a little. Yeah. The, he, I think Goku's supposed to be four when he takes down the Red Ribbon. No, my, he's 14, my, but, yeah. <laughs> my, my kid is one and a half, and I cannot imagine. No. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, there's no four-year-old child actor that I think could pull that off. <laughs> it's funny, because like, I, I have friends who have four-year-olds, and they... They don't talk that well, no. so I don't know how they do all this stuff. <laughs> a really great child actor that can communicate a lot of nuance is one in a thousand, really. It's, it's very, very difficult to find a really excellent child actor that can carry like super complex emotions. Well, that that's for 20th Century Fox or now Disney, I guess, yeah. to figure out. I think they still have the rights to Dragon Ball live action. I don't know. I'm pr- Yeah, I think they do. It's so weird that Dragon Ball Evolution is on Disney Plus. It's so weird. Uh, it's not on Disney Plus here in the States. <laughs> oh, it's here. Yeah, it's here. Ah, uh, nice. Because we don't have Hulu. So all Hulu and Disney Plus are all in it. So it's, we have Always Sunny in Philadelphia and that new Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus, which is very weird. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and International Disney <laughs> Plus is very convenient. You don't have to pay for both Disney Plus and Hulu like we do here. Yes. But yeah, no, that's really cool to like go through a fan project of like trying to like create a feature length script 
adapting Dragon Ball. And I'm really keen to see like how your project will turn out because it's definitely ideas that like, you know, even I've like floated around like, man, like how would you work kind of a manga storyline into like a feature length movie? And like you always have like these ideas in your head of like, oh, this would be a great scene to have. This is how you'd structure. But then it's in the process of actually doing it. You find that like, oh, man, there's there's so much in here that is reasonable to even fit in a good length script or like how do you write in the connective tissue for these scenes or even just like describe the scenes so it's it's very challenging yeah i think you know just like on the final point on this like fan script is that you know i think a lot of people just assume now that it's not possible to adapt something like dragon ball into live action and i don't believe that and i think the one film that sort of proves that it's possible is scott pilgrim versus the world Mm -hmm. if you read a comic of that there's like you'd be like well, if you just read the comic, I think most people would read it and go, this can't be adapted. There's no way this would work. But I think that film is incredible. So, you know, Marvel have proved it with their films. You need to get the right people who love the source material working on it. And so I think that was the problem with Dragon Ball Evolution. And it's ruined any chances of proper live action movies. But, you know, I think the Hollywood system is sort of in the way of adapting it correctly. Um, so, well, I might as well do it. I mean, that that's interesting because, I mean, I don't know how many people on the team that worked on the movie like actually like were really into the series but I, th- I thought I saw somewhere at some point that like I think the director of that movie mentioned that like he read the Dragon Ball manga I might I might be misremembering that yeah no there were people on staff who did do their homework to read Dragon Ball and in fact Piccolo's actor especially was a huge Dragon Ball fan who wanted to do the character justice but the script that the film was based on was infamously you know written by someone who was not a fan of Dragon Ball who didn't really find the appeal in it even in doing the research and basically just you know was writing the script for a paycheck. And that kind of showed and like he wrote a film that was very much not Dragon Ball. There are like names and like vague ideas from Dragon Ball that are in the script. But the actual story barely resembles the ethos of what Dragon Ball is. I will say something here that's probably going to ruin all my manga and anime cred. (laughs) Um, uh, But I do enjoy the movie on, you know... On some sort of level. Like, I don't think it's a good movie at all, but I do enjoy watching it. And there is a scene in the movie that has a slither of, like, I can see the Dragon Ball in there. And so I don't know if this was in the script or if somebody else had just do this. But it's when Goku and Bulma arrive at, I think it's South City. I can't remember what they've called it in the film. But Goku is eating this, like, huge drumstick. like chicken drumstick and he's like you know he asked Bulma oh you want some like just that interaction there like if you cut that out it's so dragon ball like he's just eating all his Mm. food yeah it's it's so weird that there's these weird like slight glimmers of like oh I can see it there like I never would have thought that a Hollywood adaptation would do the Mafubot but they did do it so there's somebody there who said like I'm really trying guys (laughs) you're not giving me much to work with I'm really trying that's really funny you mentioned that moment because I I think when we talked about Dragon Ball Evolution on our Patreon uh, I I think that was the moment one of us brought up like oh that's like the one moment that actually kind of felt like Dragon Ball like I I think we've talked about that before yeah it feels (laughs) feels really Dragon Ball yeah no I think Chalian Fat did a decent Roshi too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't give him a beard, like a big beard though. I just don't. Or a turtle, give him a turtle. Yeah, he should have worn a turtle shell on his back. 
<laughs> it doesn't have to be actually heavy. It just has to look like it. Because, oh, well, I think it's, you know, that um, Master Roshi in English, like, his name is completely wrong, right? right. Like it's I mean, his name is not Kame Roshi. Kame Senin Muten Roshi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I was talking, I used to work at a Japanese restaurant and it was owned by a Japanese person who was, um, loved Dragon Ball, never watched the English dub. And I was talking about Master Roshi and he was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Master Roshi. He's like, who was that? And then I showed him a picture and he's like, you mean Kame Sandy? And I'm like, yes. It's like, why'd they call him Master Master? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're not, you're going to be like, oh, who's TN? You're not going to know who's Krillin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, English English translation. It's funny how we're stuck with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I mean it's just a septa now. I'm I'm at that point in my fandom where it's like I know what all the names are, but I grew up on the dub. It's really hard for me to break that habit. I I call him Krillin. It just it just sounds better to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think Krillin works in in because Kuririn is really yeah. hard to say. So I think that sort of works. But like. That is not Muten Roshi's name no. at all. He doesn't have like a, a name. He just has titles. The Turtle Hermit and the Invincible Old Master. I, I did wean myself off, off of calling Tenshinhan TN, so that's progress. I mean, also King Kai is a similar thing. Like his name is not Kai. He's like Kaiosama, yeah. the Lord of Worlds. So it's like, yeah, it's very Oh, funny. well. Yeah, it's it's funny how uh, things are much better now, obviously, with localization, but it's funny how, like, the biggest anime series ever is, like, we're stuck with this. Uh, yep. uh, but that's been the interesting thing about being a manga and anime fan for a long time, is to see changes in localization evolve and efforts being made to have localizations be more faithful to the original intent of the Japanese source. And also, it's been incredible just to watch the spread of manga evolve and the distribution evolve. And this kind of leads into the next question I want to ask, you know, because beyond Dragon Ball, you, you know, you mentioned you're a fan of Sabasier, big fan of Jump in general. And being a big fan of Jump, you know, a few years ago, you started your own Discord server to discuss Jump Free from spoilers and scanlations leaks, because even though now we get Jump even earlier than Japan, even a few hours earlier than Japan, simulpub, there's still scanlations that put the series out before they're officially released illegally and it's a real bummer yeah it was a real bummer like i wanted to be like subscribed to certain reddit pages like and and um discords and i wanted to talk about the chapters coming out but the discussions always would happen three days before it was available officially so i really wanted to create like a space the discord's gone now but i think there's plenty of things in its place like the weekly manga recap discord and like um a bunch of discords now are just doing like just do official releases which is good but at the time i felt like there wasn't anything so i wanted to build a community around that but it's really hard because people are so used to getting the scans right and it's it's just part of and this is something that i'll talk about with you know a little bit later about shrine and how my mentality about it but it's sort of built a certain kind of culture where people don't realize that it's wrong or it's complicated, but I really wanted to have like a, it's so weird having a safe space to talk about jump without being spoiled, you know, three days beforehand. Yeah. So, you know, that was, a, that was a thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that's important just to have like, you know, a space where you can enjoy the work as it's meant to be appreciated as when it's supposed to come out and you're not like getting spoiled, you know, without Consent just because you see a random spoil on the timeline because it's trending 
or it gets recommended to you by Twitter or whatever, just because of your interests and algorithms and whatnot. Uh, I think YouTube is the worst. Yeah, absolutely. YouTube, being a fan of Dragon Ball and like Dragon Ball YouTubers, just put the spoilers in their thumb. It's just so frustrating. I want to enjoy the story on my own terms, but algorithms want me to <laughs> have the story ruined for me. Yeah, and especially because the culture was for a long time that, you know, before the official platform, before Wiz, like, started doing, you know, the digital magazine started doing, like, simulpubs, for a longer time, there was this culture that was just going to the Scanlation websites for the newest chapters of these series. And it's taken a long time to wean people off of that and get them to embrace the official releases and support those releases. And YouTubers definitely were... You know, another stubborn element of that, like a lot of them, you know, had kind of built their audiences on reviewing the chapters as they were broken from, you know, the scanlations early. But it took a long time for a lot of creators uh, to change their ways to, you know, start following the official releases rather than the scanlation releases. And I'm sure there's still those that are doing it. But, you know, there are, are at least a lot of uh, big folks that did make the switch to the official release which I appreciate. Yeah, no, it is definitely, it's definitely changing now. But it's, you know, I think with the bigger YouTubers, you know, switching to, oh, I'm going to do the official release. The difference is they have the audience to be able to do that. But it's like all these up and comer YouTubers who are just trying to get clicks, who then spoil it because they basically have free reign now. Like they don't have any competition. And, you know, if those blow up for whatever reason, then they're in my, in my feed and I can say like, oh, Vegeta has a new transformation. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And you see efforts sometimes for some series, like with Super, for example. Nowadays, they kind of post like the first couple pages of the manga, like the story words of that early. And then people kind of start to gravitate around conversation than that. And that can distract a little bit from like the scanlation releases but that's they still happen and so full spoilers for the chapters still do end up getting spread before they officially come out but it is interesting to see them put more effort in trying to curb that that has been really good effort but i think um you know have both of you been on the my hero academia podcast oh yeah both of yeah. Us have, yeah 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 you know you know, with My Hero Academia, like, you know when something big's about to happen because <laughs> it's, like, trending every time. Yeah, it's the worst. MHA and One Piece are definitely the worst in that regard. Yeah. So, yeah, I really wanted to do that. But I think what Viz is doing with, you know, that change for how they're publishing Jump here, I think that really changed the yeah. game a lot, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of other publishers need to step up. I'm, I'm still unsure to why Kodansha doesn't do their own service. Because their titles are literally on other apps everywhere. They're actually nauseatingly available. <laughs> yeah, their model is to make them available on various platforms. Yeah. Rather than their own central one. Yeah, because like, I use Azuki to read um, Eden Zero, but it doesn't have everything. But if you then use subscribe to Inker, then you can get like, it's so... <laughs> it's not consistent, yeah. There are different availability for series across the different platforms you can read more chapters of one series yes. on one service than on another and it is very curious as to some of those choices that if you do crunchyroll manga for instance you i think have more chapters available than on oski for eden zero oh really yeah crunchyroll's manga reading app was just terrible 
Yes. Yeah, not great. (laughs) They clearly don't care. So I was like, okay, well, if there was another service that did this, and then Inca came along, and I was like, oh, that's great. But they don't do simul pubs? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so I guess this is not the one. Um, Now Azuki has it, which is good. And I really want to read Shangri-La, but they don't have the first, like, 12 chapters and it's it's just it's all it's and all then, a bit of a mess i kind of get it yeah, though yeah and then on crunchyroll they don't have the first volume but they have still the second volume of chapters that Asuki doesn't it's very strange <laughs> like some have like slightly more than others and it's it's i wonder why are the consistency is uh, yeah, so like I get why they're like on everything, but I just don't know why Kodansha just does it to it themselves. Or don't simply just have the model that Fizz has where like if you have a subscription, like you can read every chapter rather than there are some series where, you're, where there are chapters missing early or there are chapters missing late and stuff like that. It's weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Have you guys got Amazon Prime? Yeah, I, have I do. Prime yeah. Comicsology. Yeah, so did you know that with Amazon Prime, you get all of Shaman King on Kindle? Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, I It's so that. weird. <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, so weird. Yeah, I mean, Kodansha has a deal with Comixology to have, like, a lot of their series on Unlimited. So there are a lot of full series you can read from Kodansha on Comixology, which is also another interesting thing. Well, see, that Comixology Unlimited is not available outside of the US. Ugh, mm-hmm. man. I didn't know yes. that actually. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly that. That's exactly how I feel. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, publishers and sites could make it easier for sure to, you know, just subscribe to access their titles without the headache of like figuring out, well, what's missing? Yeah. And what can't I get through the subscription? But I, to go back to your point about like how the scanlation has kind of created in the mind of many readers, a kind of a sense of entitlement that, oh, I deserve to get to read this for free, which we have seen like, you know, with Wiz's model of like having the latest few chapters free that ultimately did end up catering to but it is kind of like a unfortunate thing that there is a mindset among so many comics readers that oh i shouldn't have to pay to read and enjoy comics yeah and i don't think a lot of comics fans even appreciate the amount of work that goes into the comics they mm-hmm. read uh that they just consume for free and so they can get upset of like oh why is one piece missing a week you know or why is hunter hunter on break so much tagashi is just lazy never mind that it is labor intensive work that has consequences on a lot of authors health because of how much work they put in but they need to keep making comics for me that i can read for free and never pay for yeah and (laughs) i wanted to you know ask your perspective on this as a comics artist yourself as someone who has read in comics and put them up you know for free yourself with your series like your perspective on that fan culture on that sense of entitlement development how that's kind of been fueled by and continues to feel piracy and in particular i know there's like a specific comic you got on high school romance that like kind of encapsulates that mindset oh boy very well from someone who was like complaining that the chapter was too short and like why they had to wait for a short chapter yeah because yeah high school romance i obviously is doing that in my spare time and there was a comment once saying that my updates weren't big enough they wanted more pages and and wanted them faster and i just i just basically went to town on them yeah like (laughs) No one's paying me to do this. I do this in my own time. This takes ages, right? Like I have to build the 3D models. I have to draw it. I have to ink it. I have to color it. This all takes time. Um, and people just seem to think comics are very quick yeah. um, to do. And, you know, it's partly manga's fault. 
<laughs> the, the 20 pages a week is just, it really, you know, the, the workload that the Japanese manga could do just de-emphasizes to the general audience how hard it is to do what they do. And, and you know, it's hard to explain to them. So they think that Horikoshi does it all by himself. It's like, no, he's got nope. like a team of like 20 people helping him do this. Yeah. <laughs> And even then, he's working like 20-hour days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes he doesn't finish it, and you just get the pencils, you don't get the final inks. So there's a huge disconnect there. And I wish shows like Manben, like Urasawa's Manben, were available legally in the West, just to just give more of an idea of how much work goes into this kind of stuff. I, I thought about this a lot, and it would tie into it, it ties into. I, I don't know if you want me to go into it with, with Shrine Comics and my mentality yeah, no. about it. Totally. So, you know, I, I started my own, we can get like why it all started, but when trying to put together Shrine Comics, I was basically trying to do how would you do Shonen Jump in the West? And there's a lot of other companies that are doing it. There's um, Saturday AM, Pulse Comics, um, Noir Caesar, there's a bunch of other people. But I think their take is um, they're trying to replicate what's happening in the West, just uh, happening in Japan, just on a digital front. So they, they have like an actual magazine and then you pay to read the magazine. And the way that I was thinking about it is that most people in the West do not consume manga that way. We actually have it. We do it differently, right? Yeah. Um, right. I know Shonen Jump did it originally, but they've moved away from that model you know, to be more in line with how people would read Scanlations, right? Like Scanlations is like how the manga grew in the West and that's how they consume it so that, you know, they don't, they don't see it all in a magazine, right? Um, no, it's just like a page listing and with links to all these different series and all these different chapter updates that people click on what they're interested in. And that is kind of like the, the format that Jump has and Viz have now kind of adopted. Yeah. And that, that's sort of like how it works here, right? And so with Shrine, I, I had that in mind. I'm like, this is how people think that manga is done or not think. This is how they expect manga to be done here in the West. And then the other thing is free as well. And so, you know, this is a huge gamble. It hopefully it hopefully will pay off. But fans will then start spending money on something if they love it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard for a brand new publisher with comic titles that no one's ever seen before to try and get a following. Because you've you got to be like, look, our comics are great. You've never read them before. Yet they're great. But you need to pay to read them. And I think just in this day and age now, that's like a huge hurdle, right? Um, right. For most people. So the idea is that, you know, it probably shows in the app that you guys have used. What I want to do with Shrine is, okay, we will make you fall in love with our content. So all our comics are going to be free. You can read them from beginning to end. There's no missing chapters in the middle. Um, and we just hope that once you fall in love with these characters, um, fall in love with these storylines, that you will eventually support us in any way you can. So that's why we have like the gotcha system in our upcoming app where people can start collecting their favorite characters to use as avatars and stickers in their comments sort of thing. So I'm just looking at like the rise to free to play games and how can that be applied to comics, right? So Fortnite is free, right? You can play the whole game. It's just cosmetics. And so it seems like people are happy to do that now, right? Like this is sort of, you know, I love this thing now. I've played hundreds of hours. So the idea would be like, oh, I've read hundreds of chapters or hundreds of pages. I love these characters. Now I want to give something back. So what we want to do with Shrine is to, you know, remove that banner to entry, right? So it's like, here, you know, have a meal, have a beautiful meal and then tip us on your way out sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the way it works for like mobile games is that the people who don't have the money to spend, they're offset by the people who do have the money to spend. And there's a weird middle ground here. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of unfairness with, you know, my tr- transactions in video games. And I'm trying my best to balance that where it's like, it's not too expensive. Um, You can't spend too much money, but you know, it's there for the people who want to offset it for the people who can't. And then, you know, hopefully everyone gets paid. Cause like um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that expensive to run a publisher like this digitally. If we just had like 4,000 people spending a little bit of money every month, that would probably support us, right? We could nearly get to the point where it's like, okay, you guys can make comics full time and we can start producing content faster. So that's sort of what we're trying to do with Shrine. And that was all in response to how people consume this stuff online. And um, it's it's interesting... Um, Mark Wade, who's a, a comic book writer, in he does like he used to do Daredevil and Spider Man and stuff like that. He started his own website publishing thing called Thrillbent, and what he would do is he would seed his own torrents of the comics, and he said that they were the highest downloaded seeds, the ones that they officially put out themselves. And he would put a disclaimer at the end of every single PDF, like if you want to support us, come here and buy it. So yeah, if you give people the content, then they'll finally come, and then eventually, hopefully, they will support you. That's sort of the mindset. Yeah. No, that's a really wonderful philosophy. And I think that it comes through in the app now it's designed very well. Because it's one of the striking things that I noticed right away is that at the end of every chapter, you have a tip the author button. Where like, you know, you have the ability to like tip the author whatever amount ranging from like $1 all the way up to like $13 with different like labels from kind of denoting like kind of the relative value from like coffee all the way to car, which I appreciate. Oh, yeah. Uh, Those are placeholders. Like, obviously, I won't put car there, but we'll we'll put something (laughs) that's more relevant to like what $20 actually is. But yeah, I I think that's really important. And I think um, when you start, you know... If, if people really get into our series and we offer incentives, like, look, if we can start getting this creator, say, $3,000 a month, then the amount of updates will happen every month will skyrocket because they'll be able to focus on all this sort of stuff. So you put it in the hands of the readers and go like, look, if you love this, you can help do this more. Um, you know, originally, I th- uh, we were thinking of possibly doing a Patreon, but I think... I think with Patreon, a problem is like the burden or the feeling that you need to offer rewards. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That That's it. And also, I think a lot of people don't like the idea of like subscribing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I'm paying this many dollars a month sort of thing. So I, li- I like the idea that we just have sort of tips. Yeah. Some people like the idea of, you know, rather than have a subscription to something that like, maybe they just kind of forget about and one day they have a surprise charge. Maybe they don't like that idea. They have, they like the idea of being able to choose like, I guess, when to tip the people they like their work from, I guess. I I can see that. Yeah. And then we wanted to also, you know, give less work to the creators. So the idea is that we also have a subscription system in our app as well. Um, which is not fully implemented yet, so you guys couldn't test it. But the app will have ads um, since it's free, and then just paying a dollar a month will get rid of the ads. Um, It'll allow you to do offline downloading. So just like little extra perks that don't really, you know, it's not extra work on top for the creators to do stuff. They can just work on their content. But yeah, yeah, like with Patreon, it is, you have all these tiers, and you're like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to make stickers, and I'm going to do commissions, and Every single one of those things takes away from actually creating the content. So, you know, we, we currently at Shrine do pay all the creators. It's not a lot, but we do pay them. So hopefully when the app 
is eventually out, we'll have some more revenue coming in through ads, through subscriptions, through tips, and then we can sort of give it to the creators and then, you know, they can go and tell amazing stories. Yeah. No, I think that's great to be so creator focused and think about like, what are the creators needs and what's going to allow them to continue just focusing on drawing their comics. And so I think this model is a great way to do it. And yeah, I think that the in-app things that you have in order, like beyond just a tip function, like the gotcha system and then the subscription system, like these are all things that are like bonuses for the user. These are like features that improve the user's like experience with the app and the reading experience, but they're not at like added labor on the part of the artist, which I think is smart. But it's still like fun to just have like this gotcha thing where you can spend some of your coins and then you can like roll and get some exclusive art you can use avatar or like download and i think that's really neat and i also noticed in reading series on the app that at least i think like as i was continuing to read more and more you know i was accumulating more coins too so i think that's also an interesting thing to encourage reading yeah we have um experience built into the app as well so um when the more you read you build experience and then you get coins um currently because of testing purposes at the moment you just get like unlimited amount of coins when you're doing you're using the app at the moment but the the way that we sort of have a plan is that every time you level up you should be able to run like one or twice the gotcha machine to to pull potentially what you want and then also like the idea of like things being fair as well i don't know if you noticed that like every time you pull something you've already been you've already pulled before you get like a ticket and then you can spend those tickets on buying the ones that you're missing so you know if, if there's one specific super rare that you want you know it's not it's not easy to get, but it's not as hard as you would think it would because you will start accumulating tickets for, you know, the duplicates that you have. And so you go, oh, I now have 30 tickets. I can spend it on buying that one avatar that I wanted or that one sticker. So yeah, there's a nice balance there. I think, you know, working in the games industry, you, you know how evil it can get. And so I'm trying to, you know, have that sort of balance there where it's, you know, it's sort of worth your money. But these are the things that you need to do to offset for it for being free. Like the the other alternative is that we we lock chapters behind a paywall, which I really don't want to do. Yeah, I appreciate that your system doesn't punish the reader for not spending money, but it does reward them like just some fun bonuses, like for engaging with the app and the gotcha system and also encourages just reading the series themselves. And that should hopefully fuel more incentive for readers to want to tip the creators. And you also will earn experience and cash uh, coins for tipping creators as well. So there's a, there's a, there's a sort of like a, a loop there. So I really hope it's received well. Um, we're really proud of what we've been able to achieve so far with the app. It's been a long time coming and it's taking longer than we thought it would be. It, we plan to it to be out by now since it's the one year anniversary, but we're still not going to release it till it's ready. So it's still got a little bit of work. No, yeah, I think the incentives are very rewarding and very engaging. But yeah, I mean, I guess, could you go into maybe some of the challenges that you had while developing the app in these systems? So yeah, the app I had ideas for for a very, very long time. And so I was sort of just writing down ideas of what I would what I would do for a perfect app. Um, you know, I look at things like the Shonen Jump app and the Manga Plus app, and they all have things that I like about them and all have downsides um, as well. And so I was sort of like in my head thinking about what would be the perfect app if I could make it myself. And so that's sort of come together in what we've done so far. 
Yeah, so I, I made this huge design document. If you're familiar with the Adobe Suite, there's a um, an application on the Adobe Suite called Adobe XD, um, which is basically uh, experience. XD stands for Experience Designer, so you can create like prototypes of your app. So I've I created a prototype to just get the idea of how the flow would work. So it looks nearly exactly the same as the app you're using, except it has no functionality if that makes sense like it can't pull data it can't make comments and stuff like that but you can get the whole idea of the app so i did that myself first it took me a while um and then i went to fiverr to find someone and eventually you know nailing down i had a few offers from different developers and eventually nailed down a developer in india that's doing it um so they're doing a really good job it looks exactly how i had done the plan um for the prototype so they're doing a great job there the biggest challenges are is that um nothing ever takes as long as you plan for it. Like it's always longer. Like in video game development, we say, for example, Undying was supposed to come out the year we announced it, it ended up coming up like two years. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just yeah. things just happen, right? Um, with programming and stuff like that where just stuff that you never plan for happen, right? Right. Um the, sometimes we'd have like major bugs or major like the things about the logic that you didn't think about and like oh one thing for example was um you know i might be showing my hand a little bit here but in the gotcha machine if you collected everything you can still use the gotcha machine and then you could just build up tickets and like you could just keep using it over and over and over again and build up tickets so the next time the next event would come around instead of using the gotcha you just buy everything i'm like oh that doesn't really work that's not fun so we had to like find out like okay so okay the duplicate tickets you get work for only the event that you're working like you're you're using them on and stuff like that so, so stuff like that you know comes around uh, and another big problem is um is communication um so the developers that are working on the app are from india um their english is pretty good but sometimes they misunderstand stuff and i try to write all the designs out in as plain as english as possible but sometimes it's really hard so they might have done something and it's not quite right and so i have to tell them to go back and change it again so it's not easy it's not easy, um, especially if you don't have your own programmer on board. So at least the good thing for me is I've worked in video games, so I do understand a bit of it so it, I can alleviate some things. Um, I think a lot of people go into doing an app like this and just go like, I have no idea what I want to do. I want to make an app. And then you just go to a developer and then they, because you haven't given any guidelines or made any solid plans of what the app does, that you get a product back that you didn't that's not what you wanted. So if you ever do freelance artwork for people and they don't ever give you descriptions, that's usually what's going to happen <laughs> is that you go. Uh, I used to do magazine covers for a, a magazine in Beijing called The Beijinger for expats living there. And one time they're like, okay, I just want an Olympics themed because this was in 2008, um, Olympics themed cover. I'm like, okay. I drew an Olympics themed cover and uh, they're like, this is great, but not what we wanted. I'm like, you didn't tell me anything other than it's Olympics thing. So <laughs> right. we had to, you know, no. try my best in like two days time to try and fix it to what they wanted. And then I eventually got notes. So, um, yeah, those, those are things that can happen. Just, just do whatever you want, but not like that. Uh, never do whatever you want. <laughs> that is a red flag. If they say do whatever you want, you make 5,000 thumbnails and go like, which one of these before I keep going? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they have their own idea of what they want. And that might be different from like your 
instinct or what you would go with. You have to check up with them. So if they don't give you a description, like you gotta give them like a rough idea. Like definitely in my work doing freelance illustration, like yeah, I've run into that a lot from clients who like don't give a description or like they give a description that I follow, but then it's not what they want. So we have to work out like what they actually are looking for. Oh yeah. For all, for all you artists out there, this is the trick, right? If they don't give you a description, what you do is you do three versions of it. Two are terrible and just do the one you like. And so you lead, you lead, you lead the, you lead them yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could definitely speak experience, uh, from experience, uh, I am not an artist in any way, shape, or form. I am definitely the guy who I, I will I will come up to a designer and be like, I, I will literally just draw scribbles. I, I have done this for uh, logos for some of my podcasts, and I'll just be like, hey, this is what I got. Can you make this look? Can you, can, is this anything like I, I, I'm definitely on the other side of that's, that. <laughs> that's more. That's very helpful. <laughs> That's very helpful. You know, like it, just having scribbles or having like a little bit of an idea of what you want is super helpful. I mean, that's more than a lot of clients where they won't even describe. Like drawing a rough is that more of a solid understanding of what the client is working for yeah. than oftentimes they will give you. But no, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, whenever you're developing like a new project, it definitely takes longer than you'll expect it but it does seem like your experience at animals i mean you weren't developing an app but your experience in games development prepared you for troubleshooting problems or communication issues or trying to figure out that when developing the shrine app yeah yeah absolutely well, I the Shrine app, like from what we've tested, it seems really well formed. Like clearly they're probably, you know, still some things are added on. I don't know if there are any features that you still have in mind that you haven't implemented yet into the beta. But for as far as reading experience, like I really found it very smooth. I found it very comparable to the Jump app, to Comixology and other apps like that I use. And I find the comics reading experience very intuitive and just, you know, easy to navigate. I'm I'm curious, and when you guys read on the apps, do you prefer the vertical scroll or the page swipe? I like the page swipe, Same, but yeah. I think it's nice to have the option, I suppose, for some people who do like vertical scroll, the webtoon format. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of vertical scroll on mobile phones. And I think that's because I'm maybe it's the artist in me or something, but um phones are so tall now that I hate the black space. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, this is wasting so much space on my phone. So I like being able to see the next page sort of coming through at the bottom there. But I, what was really important to me was how double page spreads work in, in vertical. Ooh, yes, 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 yes. I very much appreciated that double page spreads. They came in, you know, all at once as an image. Please, you know, not yes. Split up. <laughs> and also you could flip your phone horizontal and, you know, read them, you know, very clearly. Yeah, and then there's also I don't know if you notice there's like the the zoom button, yeah. so it's it changes it to the um, half page thing, so you can read it that way as well. So yeah, it's it's something that like even though I work for Jump, <laughs> I just hate that the double page spreads. Yeah. Can, can, I, can I say something? Yeah. I really want this on record because I just tweeted about this a couple days ago because uh, we were talking about Ozki earlier because they they recently just implemented their own like double page spread like viewing mode and honestly if i'm using like a comic app or whatever and that's not an option that really turns me off so a- anybody out there also doing their own uh, comics apps if you're listening please include that option because i like having the option of viewing a two-page spread as a whole 
Like I, I hate going back and forth just to try to see the whole spread. I hate that so much. So th- th- thank you for having that as an option on your app. Yeah, it was it was really important to me because like obviously I, I hated it on the Shonen Jump app and Manga Plus to an extent when they use Viz's pages that sometimes I would read a page and then not realize it's a double page spread. I'm like, why doesn't this make... Oh, okay, it's a double page spread. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why it makes no sense. And and One Piece is like oh, the yeah. worst offender <laughs> because there's so many spreads and they're not, they're not spreads in the traditional sense where it's like one image across the two pages. Right. It's still just a Multiple regular... panels. And the uh, way that they're broken up when you split it in half, it doesn't read clearly. I saw somebody tweet out the spread in particular of, uh, I think it's Jinbei... Sharing the cups with uh, with Big Mom and being like, I'm part of Luffy's crew now, and it, it, the tweet was like, this is like the worst spread in One Piece or whatever. And it's I saw it got a lot of like attention. I didn't look in the comments because I didn't feel like doing that to myself. But I'm assuming there are a lot of people who are like, no man, what are you talking about? One Piece is good, and their spreads are always good. And I'm just thinking like, you know, this person's not wrong. <laughs> like I, you know, I I I like that page and I like that moment, I guess. But like as a spread, it just I don't understand why Oda includes so many panels in this two-page spread nowadays. I, ju- I just don't understand that decision at all. I think I think he's trying to get through the story as fast as he possibly can. That's yeah, probably he's trying it. to yeah. put as much story <laughs> in the series as possible in every chapter. Yeah, so yeah, I, I really wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Um, something that I that's not in the app at the moment is a viewing as spreads. Like if you turn it horizontally, that you would see two pages next to each right. other. That's yeah. something that's something that we would like to implement in the future. But um, yeah, but uh, if if you could try the vertical scroll and see how we did double page spreads, I'm very curious to see how. So the way that we do it now is that it displays half the page, but there's a little icon or there's a little bit of text saying this is a double page spread. Swipe right to see the whole thing so that was something that you know i went back and forth with the developer on they're like we can't do this i'm like we have to do this we have to do this we want i want this to be able to be read properly i think the inker app does a really good job with spread and stuff so i was really inspired about how they did it so yeah nice but yeah i mean i really appreciate the features and it sounds like yeah when it comes to like implementing like you know two page viewing mode horizontal that would be a great addition i guess my only comments for things i would like to see with the app is that i noticed that when i'm reading a chapter and like i stop in the middle like i'll have like the you know continue reading this chapter uh when i return to the page but when i finish the chapter and i don't start the next one it doesn't have like the feature necessarily of like oh you stop here and then here's the next chapter and i think that could be a cool addition yeah that's something we're working on still yeah the continue reading is not quite 100 percent there yet but um yeah well that's definitely what we're working on it's on it's on a ticket on my trailer ticket of bugs awesome and then the only other thing I noticed was I really like that you have kind of like the message button that you can activate on every page uh, when you're reading. But I do notice that when I turn it off and I flip the page, sometimes the message button will pop back up. Yeah, that's a bug as well. So the idea is that um, uh, we're trying comics. What's different between us and say like a regular manga publisher as, as like Shonen Jump and stuff is that we don't actually publish per chapter. So we publish... At, 
a minimum a page a week. Some do like four, three pages, some do two pages. Um, but we update page by page. And so because of that, um, we didn't want to have like a comments box at the end of the chapter because it doesn't really make sense of how we update it. So maybe we might change it if we do end up uploading chapter to chapter, but I don't think we will. Um, so you can comment on every single page as they come out so that you, then you can have a discussion about what's happening on that specific page instead of having a discussion about the chapter as a whole. So if there's a special moment you like on this page, you can be like, oh, I'm going to write a comment here. Um, the plan is, and hopefully it's like this when the app eventually launches, when, when the comment bubble is on, like when you have the comments bubble setting on, is that once you enter a page, it takes five seconds for it to appear. So you have some time to read the page before it covers the page itself. And then you can then see the discussion about that page going on. When it's off, it's supposed to be off entirely. So yeah, that's that's something we are working on at the moment. So, But it's good getting this feedback. No, but that's very smartly done. And I was noticing, yeah, that there would be a delay in the button popping back up, which I think is a good uh, idea. But yeah... I did notice that even when I turned it off, it would turn back on by itself on the page. Yeah, I think this this is what I was going down to with the miscommunication. Um, they just assumed that that meant that the comments bubble was on and off display wise. So, but what I wanted it was that you know when it's off, it never comes back, sort of thing. Um, but you can still comment on every page even when it's off by just hold tap and holding the screen, and then the comments icon or the comments like uh, chat comes up. So just through the app, um, which series did you end up being able to have a read? Well, I read both of your series fully through, and I sampled every series on the app, a few chapters of each. And my favorite is Punch Drunk. Oh, yes. The author's art is just so incredible. The character designs are so cool. I mean, I just love how built all these women are. All the characters are really in that series. And geez, the action is just so really intense and brutal. I just also love the shorthands that they use for when characters are like moving really fast. Like their arms would become just like noodly like blurs when they're doing fast motion. So like that really got me hooked. Punch Drunk was when I found this, the, uh, the artist's name is Noir. When I found him on Instagram, I was like, I have to have this series on front. <laughs> I love it so much. His art is incredible. And I think the writing is really good. Um, the it story is. is really good. Um, it, it, yeah, it was, it's one of our most popular series for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, the aesthetic super appeals to me with their design sense. I love, like, their tank inky lines. I love, like, their facial shapes and, like, you know, their... Because, like, the characters all look cute, but they're also, like, incredibly muscular and detailed. So it's a really good design sensibility that super appeals to me. Admittedly, I didn't get a chance to, like, use a lot of the app just because I've been kind of busy lately. So I do apologize. But... I am I am flipping through Punch Drunk right now, and this is giving me like huge like Baki vibes. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, no, with how super muscular the characters are, like yeah, totally. I would totally read more of this. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend. I I recommend all our series. Um, but Punch Drunk is there's something special about it, and I think the art style is really special. Yeah. right? like it's something. Yeah. It's manga, but it's also not manga you would normally see 
at all and from japan i think like it's it's one of it's that weird thing it's like this is clearly supposed to be like yeah. a manga it, it reminds me a lot of scott pilgrim because yeah, yeah. the facial shapes that they use are very scott pilgrim to me and some of the line work is but like yeah no it, it definitely draws from influencer manga but it's very much its own like comic aesthetic that i appreciate yeah it, it gets a lot of love dimensional resources is also another really really good series kaylee the author on that she has so many big plans for that series and lots of big reveals that I know about, but I don't want to spoil. Um, but her art is absolutely incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Like when we found her, like the fact that she hasn't been published by anyone before just blows my mind. So I'm so <laughs> glad that we have her and um They're super well realized designs and her background's really good too. Like it's a really clean I like the diversity of the different designs. Yeah, she's she's so talented. She's so talented. I think this is like, uh, you know, every artist will say this about themselves, but like being surrounded by and all these people that make such incredible artwork, it is like, oh man, my drawings suck. Do I even belong on this app? <laughs> like, like, yeah. I think all the artists are really good. Another series I also will mention is one I really enjoyed is Mud and Shop. Like the premise oh, of yes. it is so great. I was gonna say actually when I when I first opened up the app that was actually the series I like my eye kind of went to first like ooh this looks kind of cool no nah, it's a very funny series yeah mutton chop is like it's it's quite funny um I, I think the easiest way to describe it is it's 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 Looney Tunes One Punch Man <laughs> yeah exactly well well you sold me anthropomorphic like, yeah, yeah, animals <laughs> yeah no totally. It, it does feel much like a Looney Tunes cartoon, or it's like uh, <laughs> the characters are so exasperated trying to prevent Muffin from doing anything because of the havoc that will ensue. Yeah, it's it's got a very similar premise of a One Punch Man in the sense that like Mutton is just incredibly strong. <laughs> But Mutton is sort of ignorant to it and like... No, he's just naive and very humble, but like he just doesn't know his own strength. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, he doesn't know his own strength. So him just doing just regular day things could destroy the whole town. Yeah. And so they're constant <laughs> rebuilding and they... Yeah, it's 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 great. It's great. And there's like a thing of political and like insurance. Like it's it's very clever. It's very <laughs> clever. I definitely check out Mutton Chop. Uh, we have, like Cave King and From the Forgotten are probably the most shown in things we have they're very 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 shown in yeah lots of lore and mystery being set up yeah just like a bunch of nouns that make no sense <laughs> yeah you know that kind of <laughs> i'll admit there's like so much like ominous world building from the forgotten that i was having like some problems following a little bit yeah i think it's one of those series that eventually as it goes along you'll start oh this is all starting to make a lot of sense but um yeah and speaking of like stuff that's, you know, very shown and I, I mean, I really like Golden Mist and Hammerhead in that vein too. Oh, yes. And I think they have very strong starts and very like immediately compelling protagonists. I think Golden Mist has a very, very good first chapter. It's very intriguing and ends on like a really cool cliffhanger. That's our most recent series. And I think uh, the creator of Golden Mist is our youngest creator as well. You Ooh. wouldn't be able to Ooh. tell. Um, I think he's he's only just 20. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, his art is really well formed. Yeah, and I think Golden Mist, you can kind of tell that the evolution of their art, like, I think this first chapter took them a, quite a while to do. When we brought them on, they had already finished half of it, but they were like slowly going through it. And then they eventually smashed through the the end towards, um, so we could launch it. Um, but you can 
I think looking at the art on the first half of the book and then the uh, first half of the chapter and second half of the chapter, like they really kick into their stride and now it's just like they're firing on all cylinders. So um, yeah, Red Elf Manga does that series. So that that's also really good. Yeah, while I'm here, I might as well highlight all of them, <laughs> uh, all, all the series. The Fae Cafe, I don't know if you got a chance to read it. Yeah, yeah. That's another fun premise. A very cute series. It's sort of like... Um, it's kind of like restaurant to another world vibe. I mean, so, I mean, in this case, it's like take place in the world. But like the just idea of like just this chill kind of cafe setting in like a fantasy world is very nice. Yeah, it's fantasy slice of life, right? Like you're just getting what's it like running a cafe in a fantasy setting? Run by like an Ikemen elf person <laughs> who everyone is like very fearful or reverent of. Yeah. Um but there's definitely that there's there's more to that series um coming too. So Nice. Uh, I think the chapter that's incomplete right now on the app has a very cool cliffhanger when it eventually gets published. Awesome. Um, which sort of like, you know, it's the very shonen thing where it starts off very small and then eventually it's like, okay, this is leading into something much bigger. Apophenia is one of our probably most unique titles, I think, created by Skitsomi. This like horror, mystery, supernatural series. And I also just love their art. Um, yeah. Super expressive. The way they describe it, it's sort of like, it's got that indie comic vibe more so than the manga vibe. But I do think it's a really good read and it's like really good mysteries as well. Um, have I forgotten anything? I feel like I have. Oh, yeah. There, there are other series. Uh, did we mention? Oh, I think we mentioned Cave King. Yeah. So yeah, Cave King is super, super shonen. Inupin, who draws Cave King, is probably the most energetic member of our crew like his energy and his enthusiasm <laughs> just makes you want to like be the best person ever so he's like a real life shonen protagonist <laughs> he's just uh got picked up as a webtoon original as well so he's going to be doing a series on webtoon called just a goblin so uh yeah he he's going he's really going places nice i have to look out for that yeah. And obviously, just looking at the app, we also publish the Avengers. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, that's that's a pretty huge get. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a yeah, massive no. get. Avengers comic? Like, that's a real big get. <laughs> yeah. So, just just for context, we have a placeholder in, in the app for, for testing purposes, but it, it is the Avengers, which I think is quite <laughs> funny. So, so I, I'm also curious about the app. So, I don't know if you know. So, every time you open the app, like new, new open the app, you have like a cover. What did you? What do you think of? of I think that? it's pretty neat, actually. I really wanted to like have this feeling. So, you know, we were talking about like the way that people consume manga in the West is different to how they do it in Japan. But I did really want to have like a magazine type feel. So, like the idea when you open the app, you're greeted with the cover that we change the cover of the app every month. It's just a cool way to show all our series off and, um, you know, highlight what, what's like going on. I don't know if you've noticed, if you go to the cover of the app and you swipe to the left, this is a little Easter egg, you can actually go through all the covers. Oh, huh. Nice. Yeah, something that I thought was always a shame with the Shonen Jump app, because they do like the cover yeah. banner at the top, mm -hmm. but they're there for a week and then are gone forever. So I really wanted to do something where it's like, oh, you can go look at all the covers. See, that's something I kind of wish the Shonen Jump app would do is when you open up the app, you have like the cover to the to the issue of that magazine, all the chapters correlate to that week. I, I think that would be a really cool way to open up the app if if they wanted to. I think that's a pretty neat idea. Yeah. Yeah, then that's definitely what I was going for. It's like, you know, we're not a magazine, but I wanted you get to feel like this is like a magazine. And the sense of like community in all the series too. 
Like, I do appreciate that you have, like, group covers with characters from the series, much like the jump covers. Yeah, so we try and highlight, like, um, so I usually ask, so we have a Discord server with just all the creators in it. And what I try and do every month is say, like, okay, who has something big happening in their series that will be published this month? And then they'll let me know. And then if I think it's worthy enough for a cover, then they will get to draw the cover. And so we have a designer as well, Kukami. Um, so we usually give him all the assets, and then he puts it together, and then I do final touch-ups. Um, um, but like on big events, so it's obviously our one year anniversary. So the cover there at the moment is all our characters, you know, holding one finger up like the Sonic <laughs> waggle just to commemorate the one year anniversary. And so I, I try and mix and match it here and there. So, but I try and tie in to something happening. Um, so unlike you know, say Jump where like 90% of the covers are one piece because it's the most popular series, I, I do try and spread the love around so that everyone gets a chance for a cover. That's great. It's great to give everyone their chance at the spotlight. And I do love when, you know, Jump does the group covers and when I see other like indie publications do group covers with all the series under their banner. So I really like your first anniversary cover and your Christmas uh, cover. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those are really hard to put together because you got to like tie everything in and sometimes people do poses which are like hard to hide behind people and stuff like that so it's it's a challenge but i think the end result every time we finish one everyone's like this is so great <laughs> and it's just there's something special about seeing all the characters together and then it's also got this like really I, I think it's just like a highlight of the brand, right? So the idea of something, what I wanted to do with Shrine was that the way that Shonen Jump has this sort of, if you're a Shonen Jump series, that's like amazing. You, you know what I mean? Like that, what's the word I'm trying to find? I'm so bad at words. Um, I guess like prestige, mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, this is a Shonen Jump series. And so that's sort of what I'm trying to go for as well. Like Shonen Jump is so prevalent to like anime and manga that people still think fairy tales from Shonen Jump. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because they just assume that all the big titles are coming from there. So that's sort of what I'm trying to achieve with Shrine. So I hope people go check it out. Uh, I, I might as well plug. Can I plug? Yeah, I, I was just about to ask when the app was going to be live eventually. Yeah. We're hoping that the app will be live this this month, but... If you go to shrinecomics.com, all the content that will be on the app minus the gotcha is there. Okay. Um, so you can read all the comics, but we use, it's sort of displayed as an old school web comics format, you know, like, uh, you, you know, where you get page by page sort of thing. But yeah, all the comics are there. You can read everything and that will just be in a more convenient factor when the app comes. And when the app comes, we're also launching a new version of the website, which is one-to-one -one in terms of content. Like you can use the gotcha and all that sort of stuff on the web, just on the website as well. So yeah. Um, but yeah, shrinecomics.com, please go read all our series, fall in love with our series. You know, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well, which is at Shrine Comics, which is really easy. And please leave comments. I think the one <laughs> the one thing that all our creators want is more feedback. So we have a Discord server as well, which you can find a link for on the website. If you read them and you love your series, let them know. We all have little channels on our Discord server to directly talk to the creators of those series. And yeah, if you love Mutton Chop, then let them know because, you know, it will make their day. Just saying that will be like, oh, give them fuel and make us make better content. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed sampling all the series and catching up on a few of them. They're really great comics, and I'm really excited for the future of Shrine and the app and all these series and artists. Like, it's really, really cool. 
And another thing that everybody's been asking us since day one is, will you be doing a physical magazine? And the answer is we are doing a physical magazine. Um, so this year we will be running a Kickstarter for something called Shrine Entrance. Um, so the reason why it's called Shrine Entrance is that it's the perfect entry point into the worlds of Shrine comics. So the idea is that Shrine Entrance will collect the first chapter of every single series we publish. And then hopefully you fall in love and then, then you would continue the series on on our app or online. It's a behemoth, as you guys seen in the video. It's 508 pages, which is bigger than the average Shonen Jump. That was really important to us. We wanted it to be a thick boy. Uh, (laughs) We really wanted to be a thick boy. We really wanted to replicate the Shonen Jump experience, but, you know through our comics as well. I know that uh, Viz used to do the, the the English versions of the Shonen Jump, but they never quite did a one-to-one in terms of how big those magazines no, actually the are. the upper limit was 300 pages. I don't think they re- ever really exceeded that. Like the goal was that it's going to be over 400 pages and then we got we passed over <laughs> 500. So. <laughs> and nearly, nearly all of that is all comic content. So there's so much there because like, Golden Mist's first chapter is pretty beefy, like 70 pages. Zero's first chapter is like 36 pages. So it all adds up in the end. And uh, it looks so good. I'm so happy with it. Uh, We were hoping to have already had the Kickstarter started by now, but um, we're still working out shipping. And um, there was like a problem with the printer, which was sorted now, but it's pushed back the Kickstarter bit. So hopefully by the time that this episode goes up, it's either out or coming out very soon. Yeah, and we'll definitely leave a link to it when it comes out and make sure to promote it. Because yeah, the mock look that you showed us looks really good. And I think it's just a great opportunity to just be able to send out physical books to give folks a sampler of Shrine series. Yeah, the way that we saw it is the... um... One, it's like a collector's item. If you love our stuff, then you might want to get it and say, like, this is the first printed Shrine Comics product. And then the other thing that I thought would be very valuable would be it would be a great thing to have on a table at a con. So all our creators, when they can go to local cons, they can have this behemoth on their table. And then whoever they sell it to, they end up, um, that person may love all our series and then follow all our series. So I think... Yeah, it's a great promotional book to have. So I haven't physically held it in my hand yet because um, that, that one I sent you was from um, our contact in China. And I should be receiving it sometime this week, so I'm I'm really I, I'm really excited to get my hands on it. But it looks it looks so good. I'm so proud of everybody and what they've been meant, able to accomplish. I can't believe that we'd have that much content in a year that we can print something so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really awesome, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and then I think. Other things moving forward, where we do plan to do more physical books. So, um, if you know you guys looking at it, there's a lot of content for Mutton Chop. So we will probably be printing Mutton Chop Volume One and Two this year sometime, and then Punch Drunk Volume One will also come out sometime this year. And so we plan to do Kickstarters for all those. Oh, excellent! And those are definitely ones we'll shout out as well on the show. I really appreciate it. I think yeah, having more eyes on Shrine is really really big goal of mine yeah these are great comments and we'd love to just get more people's eyes on it and appreciate the series because these artists are incredibly talented and telling some really cool stories absolutely and i think i think if there's one thing that manga fans want is more manga (laughs) we're giving it to you it's like ah i binged all of one piece in a day now what it's like okay well then binge 
mutton chop. <laughs> oh man, there's just there's just no more manga to read. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like people are like, oh, you're like, don't you feel like you're competing with all these other things? And I ne- I've never seen it that way. Like I've never some heard somebody complain there's too much manga. Like I complain about it because I'm an old man. But young people, you just you they want you to feed it into their veins. So we hope <laughs> that we are we can do that for them. Oh, I, I I know when I was younger, that's just that's just all I wanted to do was just consume, consume, consume. Nowadays, it's just like man. I'm tired of consuming. I just want to break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I still can't believe I when I when Kingdom Hearts two came out, I took the day off school I, to <laughs> wow. just play, and I beat it that day. <laughs> I beat it that day. I'm Dang. like, how did I do this? I, you know, I bought Monster Hunter Rise when it was launched. I've just done the tutorial. That's all I've been <laughs> like as an adult. That's all I've been managed to do. So, um, yeah, youngins, you, you crazy. <sighs> I miss those days. It can be kind of exhausting with how much is out there, especially thanks to, you know, those rise of webcoms being so available to just to have so many different titles out there to read. But I think that's what makes sites like Shrine and makes efforts like you're doing to kind of promote your artists and then like help them continue making their art and attract readership so valuable. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. You know, one thing I'll say, you know, about the shrine is that as much as I love platforms like Webtoon and Tapas and all that sort of stuff, it's just that there's so much on there. And so the idea is with Shrine is that we make sure that we only have high quality content. The idea is that if you like one of our series, we're pretty certain you'll like most of them or if not all of them. So I, I think that's what's really good about something like Shonen Jump and what we're trying to replicate here is it's like, you know, this is our lineup enjoy the entire lineup and it's i think for us it will never get to the point where we'll have like thousands of series like i think yeah a selective lineup of close-knit creators absolutely absolutely and our community is really cool our you know i think you know with japanese creators they're so distant and a lot of them don't have social media presences and they don't want to talk to anybody but with us we're on the discord you can always talk to us we love talking to everyone so yeah i think you know, Shrine special, it's only just getting started, but I hope everyone who's listening to this at least checks us out and um, potentially fall in love with one or all of our series. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, once again, we definitely want to shout out Shrine and encourage people to check out the app when it launches and the Kickstarter will be sure to promote when it's out, as well as all future Kickstarter's projects. But before we wrap up our questions for you, I mean, we have to talk about Robocop. Of course. I was I was going to say, we need to talk about Robocop. Yeah, we here on Manga Marits, huge fans of Robocop. Yep. We love this series, and we love your lettering on the series. So Thank you. Know, you. We want to ask you, like, I guess let's start with, like, how you got the job lettering Robocop. Like, how'd you apply to Jump, and how'd you find your way to work on series so yeah the this is one of the answers i was shouting at my phone when i was listening to the manga uh, the <laughs> the letterers round table because like everybody had like their experiences getting in so if you follow my twitter you can see my how i got in and you just go back a little bit it's literally me tweeting alexi kirsch the editor of one piece how do you go about becoming a letterer on shonen jump that was it I had never done anything like it before. I've never done scanlations. I've never done, yeah, like I've obviously done my own comics, but in terms of like just just lettering, I've never done anything like, like that before, but I just messaged him. And then I got a DM saying, you can take a test if you like. And then I did the test. <laughs> um, so 
what got me to the point where I just wanted to ask him was actually um, COVID. So the Vanimals, the studio is actually based in Beijing and I'm currently in Australia. So uh, my wife was pregnant when it first happened and the outbreak first happened in China. So we thought that it might be safer to come back to Australia for the baby to be born. And then there was a bit of a limbo of like, how I was going to continue working at Vanimals, whether it was still going to happen or not. We weren't sure because everybody else is in the office. I'm the only one working remotely. So during that uncertain time, I was like, okay, what can I do at home? And so I was like, you know, manga lettering, I can do that. Uh, And so I just literally sent a tweet to the editor of One Piece. That was it. Nice. And it just goes to show the value of just putting yourself out there. Absolutely. So I, I really wanted to bring this up. So, you know, you know, making contacts and stuff is good, but you just literally need to show you, yourself. And I don't know if it was at the right place at the right time sort of thing. I don't know if Alexei was looking for a new letterer for, for whatever reason, or I don't know, he was just happy. I guess they're always looking for letterers because they've got so many series now that they need to sign mm, Yeah. But you do need to back up your claim. That's why you do the test. Right. So if you've never done anything like it before, you need to be able to show you can do it. So when I got the DM from Alexi, he said, do you have any examples of any lettering work you've done? I'm like, I've never done any lettering per se, like any other manga or stuff, but I can show you my comics. So I just showed him my comics and he said, okay, the lettering is good there. And then he said, can you then do retouches to remove the Japanese sound effects and replace it with English? So I said, I can. And so what I did is I just screenshotted a page from the Shonen Jump app of Dragon Ball Super. And then I just did one of those pages because they have the subtitles for the simulpumps, yeah. right? So I knew what the sound effects were. Oh, nice. And um, I just did that. And then I sent it to Alexi and he was like, oh, that's really good. And then he said, like, if you want it um, in a few months, we'll have new series starting and you can start then. And so that ended up being Roboco, but it was funny at the time. I think he said around June, there'll be a bunch of new series starting. And so I was really. What's the word I was thinking of? I really wanted to know what it could potentially be. I'm like, surely it would be announced already. So it turns out the series hadn't been announced at all. They had no idea what it was. They just knew roughly when the new round of comics would come in. So like when the cancellations would be happening and when they bring in a new round of comics. So he just knew the rough time frame that a series would be replaced. But I, I went Google mad and I, I, <laughs> I was freaking out because I, I, I thought I w- might be lettering um, the Bleach sequel. What is Burn it? Burn the Witch? Yeah. I was like, oh, is it Burn the Witch? Because <laughs> that, was, that was supposed to come back in June. And I was like, oh, is it Burn the Witch? I think. And I was like, I, was like, I might be lettering Burn the Witch. And then no, it was me and Robico. Admittedly, I was a little disappointed when I first heard of it. But I love the series so much. And I think the best thing about me and Roboco, at least from my point of view, is that it's like working on every single series yeah. <laughs> because of all the references. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, with how, much, how reference heavy it is. I was wondering if you try to emulate the style of learning of series that are referenced, like in the recent chapter where there's the big Kevin's Arena Hunter Hunter parody. Yeah. So uh, I try when I can, it it is tough, right? Like, so I have a bunch of fonts that I've chosen for what I would do with Roboco. The only time that I've done the one-to-one copy of what it was like in its original series was there's a, there was like a Toriko Mm -hmm. chapter where like Roboco hunts that big alligator thing. Um, And so there's that panel where it's like the, the chapter name or whatever it's, I don't know what it's called. Menu one. Oh yeah. Manly man sushi. 
<laughs> that's the one. So I made I made sure that it was the exact same fonts as yeah, the one yeah. that was used. So I try when I can, but sometimes you can't because there's there's Roboco has its own style guide at this point. So I try and stick to that. And um, I know that Alexi very early on got very angry at me when I was doing <laughs> so many fonts because <laughs> um, I was trying to match them. This is something they talked about in the roundtable as well. Like the manga uses so many fonts. Like Roboco has her own font. Gorilla Gachi has his own font and stuff like that. So I've toned it down a bit. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a blast to work on. No, I think it's it's so interesting. Like I was wondering, like, were you assigned Roboco or did you get to choose of that round? But it sounds like you were assigned. But it was such a great serendipitous pairing to have you on Roboco as someone who's like a big Jump fan, and Roboco is just a big love letter to Jump. Yeah, and with Dragon Ball references aplenty too, like right from the very first chapter. Yeah, that I think um, there's the one where the two aliens like interrupt <laughs> their camping. <laughs> that one is like. It's like nearly one for one uh, Roboco, uh, Goku oh, versus so Freezer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that that was that was pretty amazing. And then the um, it's not the most recent chapter now because the new one, but the one with the snowball fight yeah. with um, Bondo holding the flag like what? Luffy. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Yeah, no, I didn't get to choose. So uh, because I'm a newbie, I was assigned it. But if you've actually let it for ages, you actually do get to choose. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure editors oftentimes will have a letterer in mind for certain series. Potentially, potentially. I, yeah, Alexi did say like, oh, since you're new, you won't get to choose. So you get to get what's left over, which would end up being Roboco. But I think Roboco is the only series now that was published in that bunch that's still going. Ayakashi's still going. Oh, it yes. It was Ayakashi right. Triangle, Maguchan. I forget about that one because it's not on the Viz app. Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin. Yeah, Hardboiled and then Roboco. Yeah. Yeah. So Magu was really good oh, as well. Man. Um, yeah. Very emotional. Wow. Sweet At the time of this recording, that just ended, and I was a puddle on the floor reading that last chapter. <laughs> Very hard to top that as the best <laughs> ending of the year. Yep. Oh wow. I I'm I'm still not caught up. It's it's funny though. I I read now less jump <laughs> than I did. I think it's because um. So for example, right, uh, jump comes out like at three o'clock in the yeah. morning for me. So mm-hmm. I usually like today when I've woken up, that's when I would usually be reading it. But now whilst I was talking to you guys, I got the script for the next Ooh. Robocop. So, oh, wow. Now you can tell us all about it. Oh, no, a week kidding. in advance. <laughs> I, I hear, here I can, that's it. There, there are references. There will be Ooh. references. I haven't looked at it yet. Oh, spoilers. It yet. Um, but I was wondering, so when you get your script for the next chapter, like, do you designate a certain time to work on it? Because your full-time work is for animals, and then you work on Shrine on top of that. So do you have, like, a designated time in your week that you just focus on, okay, now this is Robico time? Um. So since I work from home, I can, I'm very uh, flexible with my time. So usually the morning of, so I would work on Roboco till about lunchtime. Hopefully it's done by then. Sometimes it takes me a little bit longer. I don't know if it's because I'm just slow or that Roboco is an incredibly tough series to work on. But everyone's told me that gag manga series are really hard for simul pubs. That's fair. I mean, have you read Witch Watch? Especially, I mean, to try and have humor translate. Also, when they can be very text dense. 
Like, I'm sure the chapter where everyone was trying to figure out Roboco's messages oh, man. that were super cryptic <laughs> and understand would took a lot of time because that was one that was very text heavy. Yeah, well, so text heavy chapters for me are quite easy, right? So if they have their, if they're in speech bubbles, then we're good to go. It's literally just put the speech bubbles in, make sure it fits. Right. But on that one, you had like a bunch of text on like phone screens that had to be in an angle and stuff. Yes. Oh, that chapter was the worst because that wasn't on different layers and they were oh, just, oh my God, you're bringing back PTSD with that oh, one. And to make it readable too, because some of the text was very small. So. Yeah. And then they did it again. Yeah. I, I was, when I, because sometimes there are some ongoing jokes that yeah. come back, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes they don't come back. Um, and I was like, please be one that doesn't come back. And then there was another text messaging. So I'm assuming there'll probably be more text message chapters in the future. But that's going to be Roboco's equivalent of the of the mangaka and fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's chapters in Witch Watch. Oh, man. Yeah. Sometimes if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you will see like, you'll know when... Uh, that's a really tough chapter because I'm just like screaming why into a void. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, the thing about Roboco is, is that hopefully you haven't noticed because then that means I've done my job right. But like if there is any text in the background that's a joke, I've retouched it. So there's so much stuff that I have to redraw. Like it's, I, it's hard to tell. I don't know if it's because everybody else does an amazing job, but I look at I, when I read my hero and stuff like that, I'm just so jealous of the simul pub because like most of it's in speech bubbles and stuff like that. But like with Roboco, a lot of the asides or every single aside is drawn by hand by um, Miyazaki sensei. So I am retouching it. I'm redrawing the backgrounds there and then putting the aside in the chapter that just came out today, like the t-shirts that the characters are wearing with like, you're my friend that was hand drawn as well. So I have to undo it and Oof. then do it again. It's just Very time with Roboco, it's a lot. And um, <laughs> sometimes because, because of the, how the jokes play out. So there was that one chapter where Roboco is like spitting out fortunes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because the text is written vertically, like the joke was, is that you could only read half the things that she wrote and then you didn't know what the second half of it was. So I had to try and make it make sense because the characters are like one on top of each other, but we write left to right. So I had to figure out a way to obfuscate the part you're not supposed to see yet. So then the joke would then happen. So it's, it, it can be really tough. Oh, absolutely. It can be really tough working on Roboco, but it's, it's a pleasure. Like every week, every time I get the new chapter, it's a pleasure. Yeah. No, it really is a delight. It is one of the series I look forward to reading the most every week, just because, you know, it is just a love letter to Junk Fan and the community you form just through the shared language of being a manga fan. So it, it really hits all my buttons, and I really appreciate your work on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I mean, uh, so I think it, those text chapters were some the hardest to letter in all of Robocop. Definitely the hardest. The worst thing is speed lines on top of text. <laughs> oh my god. Because I have to draw those speed lines back in or edit around them. It's very tough. Brandon Bovia, who you had on, sometimes I just message him on Discord crying. <laughs> like, how do I do this? Um, and he's been he's very helpful. He's like he's like, Man, it's tough. And then he'll show me what he's working on, and then I'll be like, Okay, I can I can't complain. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> I was going to say, between you and um, – because we, we also talk about Ace's lettering a lot between, like, Witch Watch and Black Clover. Like, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> we, we've mm-hmm. definitely had stories on the show told to us by them. And I'm just like, man, I hope you guys are really getting the credit you deserve because mm-hmm. you guys do a lot of really great work. Yeah, it's really nice, um, especially since like uh, before they did the um, vault where they like had every chapter. Uh, when they did the magazine, they didn't mention who the letterer was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now we do get it. So it's very nice. Um, and the me and Roboco community has, there is one, believe it or not, um, have been very welcoming to me. That's good. Yeah, it's very wonderful. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure Roboco has hardships, I'm sure, in lettering. But I wanted to ask, like, what were your favorite moments to letter in the series? Or really your favorite moments in the series to date in general? Um, my favorite chapter is the first one where we realize that Bondo can't comprehend the next week <laughs> if there's, like, no jump. You know, that yeah. one where he's, like, where he forgot his pants? That's my favorite chapter, and it was like I was literally laughing out loud uh, <laughs> while working on it. It's so funny. Oh man, that last spread referencing that moment from Slam Dunk is still like one of my favorite yeah. moments in the series. So good, but you know, not only was that chapter like incredible, it's like it's easily my favorite. Um, when I got the email from Alexis um, <laughs> saying like. Guess what? The last page has no letter. Those are really those those are really good moments. Well, here, um, here's a question, real quick. So, how, how did you how did you feel about working on that chapter compared to the sequel chapter with probably more text because it is a giant reference to Hunter Hunter's Chimera Antark? <laughs> I think that it, it was quite it was good, but I don't think the chapter like in terms of like the chapter itself i don't think it was as strong as the first one okay. i think i think the build-up of like um matsuo's plan and stuff like that with like with the sun and all that sort of stuff it was just it's just so funny on the first one but i did enjoy it like yeah when now whenever there's a missing issue i get super excited i'm like <laughs> oh yes that's another one where the last page had no lettering so yeah no lettering that's 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 those are always great when I get no lettering. Um, and then another one was um, the the food eating contest, like the one where Bondo just wanted to do it to help a friend out and then didn't realize how violent the, <laughs> the competition was. <laughs> but there's like Bondo's expression of like, what's going on here was like, I just, um, when I was scrolling through my InDesign and then I got to that panel of just like his like bemused face, like I literally burst out laughing. So I think you know, it's it's good to be able to work on a series like that where I'm enjoying everything that's going. I was really worried with the first chapter that it was going to be like a perverted series, like because they really brought on the fact that she was like not attractive. Yeah, yeah. That first chapter, and I'm glad that it didn't end up being like that. And I'm glad that it sort of turned into this thing where like everyone finds Roboco attractive. Like that's sort of like the joke now, right? Like everyone's like, oh, her knees are incredible. Uh, you know, it's sort of like. I mean, they are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they absolutely are. Um, I do intend to, I've always intended to draw a fan art um, of me and Roboco. I really want to do one of, you know, that that iconic scene of Vegeta and Nappa standing next to each other yeah, when they first arrive. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that, except Roboco is obviously Nappa and um, Bondo is Vegeta. Th- that'd be great. Oh, that'd yeah. be great. But yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the best things about this, which is n- not actually manga related like lettering related at all was that Alexis and I, we have a really interesting relationship because he had a kid just at the same time as I had a kid. Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly talking about our experiences of being new dads and stuff like that. So it's been really nice to 
because um, most of my friends who have kids, they've had kids for ages as well. So they're not going through, like they've already been past that stressful period where you have no idea what's going on. And so it's really good to have like a chat with him about things that we're worried about just to say like, okay, this is not a problem for me. And like, maybe we can feed our kid this. Like literally when we, when I, with the script, Alexa sent me a DM baby related. So yeah, that's, that's been really special being able to have this kind of like shared experience with him. So yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's my lettering experience. I, I'm still a newbie. Like I've uh, Roboco was obviously not popular enough to get a physical book series here in the West. So you know, everyone, please, please read Roboco. Please read Roboco. Yeah, I'd love to see it in print. Though I'm sure that is going to add to your work retouching oh boy. those pages <laughs> yeah. to send sound effects per print. Because I know in the digital they just use the same uh, shonen. Not quite exactly the same. It's, it's not, not quite the retouch. same. I do have I have to do re- more new retouches because of the um it's different. We use different um raw files and because the aspect ratio is actually different as well. So the one that turns in the magazine is wider and the one in the volumes is taller. So a lot of the jokes are like off the page. Um and so Miyazaki Sensei has actually moved them and so oh. I have to make sure they're moved as well. So No, that makes sense. Yeah, but you don't have to like literally redraw every sound effect in English, yeah. No, but um because I'm using brand new raw files, the touch-ups that I did, I might have to redo them oh, again. Okay, mm. that makes sense. But yeah, please support the series. I would love one day to have a physical book of it. I think it would be amazing. Viz does send me the Japanese book, so I do okay. get them. That's pretty cool. Nice. I think it is gaining popularity. I think more and more people are starting to understand the appeal of Robocop. Yeah. I think uh, when Robocop came out, so I, what was it? Phantom Seer was canceled or something yeah. like that. And so yeah. that was really popular or something. And so people think it's because of that. <laughs> yeah. Because of Phantom Seer was canceled because of Robocop. And that's not true <laughs> no, at all. And people are resentful that like series that they were favorites ended up ending sooner than series they don't like, particularly the gag manga. But I mean, there's potential jump editorial season them and there's an audience for them and i really have liked that roboco has gained much more of a following the longer it's gone on the more people have come around to appreciating it and yeah it's a really nice series i'm glad that there's a community and a fandom for roboco now there is a really weird stigma against like gag manga in jump especially because i think um there was one time when uh online you know, uh, someone posted the, uh, I don't think it was the latest volume, but I think it was volume five of Roboco that was clearly like an homage to the first volume of My Hero Academia. And and all the quote retweets were mostly just people going uh, mid, 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 like so, so uh, mad that like Roboco just, d- d- how dare Roboco parody My Hero Academia, my favorite series. And it's like, <laughs> man. I, I just I just like that I just like that Roboco exists to make nerds mad. That's that's part of the reason I like it. <laughs> yeah. Every also every cover is a reference yeah. to another yeah, cover yeah. of another series. So I mean the very premise of Roboco is also a parody of Doraemon. Yeah. So like the entire series is rooted in parody. Yeah. if people start to read it, then they'll um they'll start to love it, I think. Um because you know, obviously the characters are just like us, right? Like everybody is just crazy about mm-hmm. jump. So I think it's sort of a perfect series for the magazine. And I mean, it's a series that truly embodies the friendship and friendship effort victory because the friendship between Bondo, Gotch Girl, and Mozo is just one of the best in any jump manga currently running. Like it oh, is yeah. such a sweet <laughs> relationship and Gachi and Mozo chapters are so good. I-, I love that Gachi and Mozo are like the nicest people yeah. ever. Like that, that, oh, 
So this is a little insight. So uh, there's like the Twitter chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Where the gotchi is like following well, like uh, WHO and UNICEF. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's such a nice person. <laughs> All you do is follow like uh, charities and stuff like that. Um, that page is different in the volume. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, the, what they're following is different. Uh, I don't know how it's decided what they were, but I think, I don't know. I guess if a difference in copyright, with, like, maybe. Uh, between like. I think they're fake Twitter accounts in the mm, volume. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess you can get away with something different in Jump, but in the print volume, they had to change it. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure because I get, when I get the assets for the volume, I use the same script that we use in the weekly chapters in the Simul Pub. And so I think then they change it once it's done on their end. So I haven't actually had a look at it. I'm just wondering if Act Age or Act Age reference is still in it in the volume. Mm. I'm not sure. I should double check. I do. That's have interesting. Actually, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that like kind of didn't age. Well, that yeah, because yeah. they they sort of removed it from the history, right? Like it's the it's the first time I've seen that. You know, we've got Ruini Kenshin for some reason still around. Yeah, yep. Act Age is like it doesn't exist uh, because Kenshin makes money. <laughs> yeah, luckily I'm glad that at least on Viz's end they don't do Kenshin. Yeah, anymore. I think that was a good decision. I know we're kind of running a little long here. So is there anything else we want to talk about with Roboco in particular or anything else we want to talk about really quickly before we maybe like head off here soon? Or I think, yeah, I think that's about everything on my end that, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of what I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as for like a wrap up question, I mean, because you've done so much in games and comics and now manga, I just want to kind of ask you like, you know, what do you feel is like the proudest accomplishment you've had so far, like in your career as an artist? And like, what is something that you're really looking forward to doing more of in the future? I think the proudest moment, and it might sound cliche, is but what we're doing with Shrine is I'm super proud of what we're doing. The fact that I'm able to help give a platform to these amazing creators and highlight them in the way that they should be highlighted is it's like one of the proudest moments of my life, career wise. Obviously, I have a kid, so like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think. I really think that we've hit on something special with Shrine and it's only very early days. So like in the grand scheme of things, we're still very small. But the fact that I've been able to let these creators create what they want and be able to pay them in some way. Um, I know that if they were being published on Webtoon or Tapas or stuff like that, they wouldn't get any compensation for it because just the way it works there that you need to have like 100,000 subscribers before you even start earning money, you know, crazy stuff like that. So I'm super proud of that. And then looking forward, I'm really looking forward to growing what Shrine can possibly be. I hope that Shrine one day will be synonymous with manga in general on the internet, that people like have Shrine titles and they're part of their weekly conversations about manga and Discord servers and Reddits and stuff like that. I really hope that we can reach that point. Obviously, it's going to be a long, yeah. long road, but mm. you know, I think, you know, it's all starting and what we've been able to achieve in the first year is more than what I had planned for, right? Like I didn't think that we'd be able to get to a point where we could have a physical magazine and app. And that's because of the backbone of all the creators that are with me, right? Like they believe in the vision. They believe in the idea that I have and they they really want to help push that forward. So, you know, that is what I'm really looking forward to continue working on in the future. And then I guess, you know, I'm hoping to grow Shrine 
you know, over the next coming years. So if, you know, anybody's listening to this is interested in any way, right? So one thing, currently I'm like running as an editor across all series. So I would like to have people brought on to work as editors to help shape our creator series. And I'm doing a lot of the heavy lifting myself. So I'd like to like divvy up that work. So hopefully maybe there's um, like a budding passion about, oh, you, you, you run a manga podcast. So everybody's listening is passionate about manga. But if they want to be passionate about possibly being part of the creative process of bringing manga to the world, you know, please hit me up, you know, at Jazzy Jin on Twitter. Follow me, I'll follow you back. Um, my email is jinchanyumy at gmail.com. You can always email me. I'm easy to find. So yeah. You know, if you want to be part of growing this into something special in the future, then let me know. And um, if not, I hope you, you know, enjoy consuming what we end up doing in the future. So that's my long-winded answer. Oh, absolutely. Very beautifully put. And uh, Ito's I can really get behind. And yeah, looking forward to seeing Shrine grow and I and your artists grow. And yeah, it's I think it's really exciting what you're doing. And we love to support it, and we really loved having you on to talk about your comics and manga career journey. Yeah, and I just want just before I go, I just want to say thank you for like taking the time to having having me on and talking about Shrine and about what I do because you know it, it it's sometimes hard to get out there and get into people's faces. So I really appreciate this opportunity, and um, you know, hopefully we can talk again in the future, and uh, maybe I might bring some friends along. Um, who knows? Maybe there might be a Shrine creator roundtable in the future. Ooh. Maybe. I mean that that'd be cool be awesome yeah no thank you so much and we really do love just allowing artists and localizers a chance to just kind of explore their craft and their careers and just get their stories out there and shed some light on the work you guys do in the comics and manga industry because i think it's really important for more folks to know and gain their appreciation for like all the hard work to get us into like the comics you'll enjoy oh for sure and you know i think we will wrap up the show but i do also want to acknowledge and thank my friend vix for sending a bunch of uh specifically sonic related fan questions because when i told her that you drew so you're a big sonic fan and you drew like comics for sonic to comic online like she had a bunch of questions that unfortunately i don't think we have Oh, I will. I saw those questions. I will send them to you. I'll send answers to you uh, privately. Oh, that would make her so happy. Thank you. But yeah, just <laughs> yeah. wanted to acknowledge that. But yeah, no. Sonic for life. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we heck, we if we ever get an opportunity to cover Sonic on the show in Singapore, we'd love to have you on to talk about it. Because oh man, if you have a Sonic podcast like episode <laughs> special, I will be there. Yeah. Oh man, with a thousand thousand. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, I live and breathe Sonic the Hedgehog. I have... Uh, uh, here's my little Sonic tidbit before I go. I just have to say that now that we're on the topic. Uh, for Sonic's 15th anniversary, when Sonic 06 came out, I held a birthday party at my place to celebrate Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I made a cake that looks like the shape of Sonic. And then I had like on our dinner table, I put all my Sonic stuff, which is like every single issue of Sonic that I owned, toys, all the games that I owned, the Dreamcast. I just put it on there and I took photos. And then we had like my friends and I did this like called the Sonic Dash before Sonic Dash was a thing. And we did a race where we all had our arms back doing it. It's not the Naruto run by the way, it's the Sonic run. Like, let's just clarify that now. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I was so excited. I po I took photos and then I sent it to Sega and then Sega were like, this is incredible. And then they got Yuji Naka to sign a, a poster of Sonic and send it to me. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really neat. Yeah. So I have that right next to me. Um, it's like a Sonic, it's a Sonic Heroes render where he's like got the thumbs up. It's got Yuji Naka's signature. And uh, so, yeah, 
I'm, I'm really, I'm deep in. I'm deep in. I was considering na- giving my, my son the middle name Sonic, but I was outvoted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I've never read a single Sonic comic, so for if for some reason we wanted to talk about Sonic comics on the show, I'll totally do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, man. IDW is the perfect way to start. Just, yeah. just okay. get into it. Oh, Vix will talk our ear off about Sonic. She has before <laughs> if you've listened to episode 69 of the show, where uh, just a huge nice. chunk of that is her talking about Sonic comics. So, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll make it happen. Yeah, for we'll sure. I'm going to listen to that. I, I, I Yeah. Yeah. I, I will answer those questions for Vix. Um, but yeah, we could go on for another three hours now that we brought up Sonic. So I apologize. And um, I'll let you finish. No, yeah, the show. we'll save that for another podcast. But like Sonic, I think we got to go fast out of here uh, <laughs> into the wrap up of the show. But thank you again, Jin, for coming on. And I just, as a wrap up, to just once again remind folks where to find you in Shrine on social. Okay, so um, you can find me at, at Jazzy Jin, J-A-Z-Z-Y-J-I-N, on everything, which is uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but don't bother looking <laughs> there. And then Shrine Comics is at Shrine Comics, S-H-R-I-N-E-C-O-M-I-C, um, on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And then just go ShrineComics.com to read all the awesome comics. And um, you know, stay tuned for the app, which you'll be able to find on the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Nice. Yeah, once again, check out all of Jin's great work and look forward to all the exciting stuff coming up with Shrine. And hopefully we can have you on again in the future to talk more comics manga and Sonic in particular. But until then, yeah, like Sonic, we got to skedaddle out of here into the next zone of this podcast, which is our wrap-ups. So, got to go fast. Well, I don't show up, don't Again, to Jen for coming on the show to discuss his manga and comics careers, and it was just a fun time talking to him. I'm sure Rut will invite him again, as we mentioned, talk about Sonic, comics and manga, all sorts <laughs> of different comics and manga that he's passionate about, and more Shrine Comics spotlights in particular, because they have a lot of really great titles. I really enjoyed reading them, and I'd love to talk with other creators with Shrine about their own personal journeys as well. It's just a 
Relief on Time. I love interviews like these. And if you want more interviews with Jin, let's head into our community shoutouts. We didn't really touch upon a lot of Jin's gaming career because, as you heard, we just had so much to talk about about comics and manga. But Jin is the creative director of Animal Games and they're working on a really cool game called Undying, which follows like a mother who has been bitten by zombie in her last couple days, just with her Annie trying to kind of raise her child so that they can fend for themselves. And if you want to learn more about like kind of the inspiration behind Undying in its genesis and like what they're trying to achieve with the game, like there's a great interview with Jin and the rest of the creative leads at Animals with Prima Games that outlines that. And there is a interview with Jin just discussing the creation of the soundtrack of the game, how they worked with the composer Ariaga Hutchins to come up with the sound and look of the game and what tone they were going for. It is really, really cool. So if you want to learn more about the games that Jin is working on, definitely check out those interviews. And as far as another interview goes, if you want to check out the interview Jin had with Manga Planet, I highly recommend it because as I mentioned before, Jin was interviewed by Manga Planet a few years ago to discuss the Shonen Jump server he created for a community fans who wanted to avoid the spoilers from leaks and it was a great conversation about you know piracy from Jin's perspective as a comics creator himself and a longtime Joe fan it's a really really good interview and if you want more of Jin's thoughts to hear or to see like his work in action, I would definitely recommend you check out the Shrine Comics YouTube where they do a lot of really cool tutorials and explainers on like different elements among creation. In particular, Jin led a session just discussing about the fundamentals of comics, like the basic building plots to go into making a good comic, which was a really great presentation. And on Jin's own personal YouTube channel, he's made a lot of really great videos about his comic career. And in particular, he has a Making the Page series where you can actually see him draw and color pages from high school romance. And it's really cool to see his process in action. And I really love always seeing like an artist kind of live draw their work. And Jin is just super skilled and efficient and what he does. And it's just awesome to see him in action, like just learn like what kind of tools and techniques he uses. So definitely check out both Jin's personal channel and the Shrine Comics YouTube channel for those series and those other interviews with him. For conversations about manga and apps outside of Shrine Comics, let's go to its inspiration, Shonen Jump. And our good friends at the Read Right to Left podcast, G and Ray, did a great Shonen Jump app spotlight where they covered about 40 different titles that Ray primarily read for the first time and evaluated from a grade of 1 to 5. There are some harsh reviews in the one stars, but they spend <laughs> much more time talking about the stories they really love, the series they really love. And it was a really great conversation. Obviously, I'm a big fan of G and Ray's work and their Tata manga. And it's really cool to see them just spotlight like over three dozen different jump titles just in three hours. Very, very cool. I listened to the episode too, and I thought it was really good. Uh, I appreciate all the Kenta Shinohara love. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And I also really love the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. We've been a few times before, and they did a great episode recently 
just covering the past three new Jump series that come out at the end of the year. And I enjoyed their thoughts too, even though they were like a lot more, you know, critical of the series like Ayashimon than I expected. But I thought they generally had very good criticisms. And I always enjoy hearing their thoughts on new series as well as like the Jump series they read in Spotlight on every of their monthly episodes. Very, very good. And, you know, speaking of, like, new gem series, let's talk about the gem series that has ended. Mongo-chan, of course, ended. And Derek S. McGrath wrote a great kind of review of the last chapter of Mongo-chan. And in general, they had been writing really great reviews of Mongo-chan for the past 20 or so chapters. And they planned to go back to the beginning. And I thought it was really interesting to read their thoughts. They had more mixed feelings about the ending, like their elements of it in terms of like, you know, we don't get a full glimpse of what happened to all the characters because of the form of the time skip. They weren't super perfectly happy with the like final moments of the chapter. But overall, they had a really thoughtful analysis of Magu-chan and how the ending fits in with the overall scope of the series and its themes and what they appreciate about it. And I generally enjoyed reading through their reviews of the previous chapters as well. They have some very thoughtful thoughts. And they're really great writer in general, writing a lot of really great reviews. They recently did a review of the Gintama the Very Final film, which was pretty fair and balanced, like very critical of the animation in the film, but I think a good job evaluating kind of the strengths and weaknesses of the film as like an ending to such a long running series like Gintama. And they did like a essential Gintama episodes watch that's highlighting 200 like essential they felt episodes of Gintama to watch, which I thought were very good choices. Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to check this out. Yeah. And of course, they also reviewed the latest chapter of Shukumara, where it basically became a Mako-chan chapter. And I thought that was a good review as well. So yeah, I'm really enjoying Derek's reviews and highly recommend his blog and especially his Mako-chan reviews. Now, moving on from like newer titles to go into an established jump title that is often in discussion, let's talk about their great piece from anime feminist written by Lillian King on an element of one piece that has long time and rightfully been criticized and how you know Oda has drawn and written his female characters over the years and I think it's a pretty fair assessment of how his writing of his characters especially his female characters has fallen short over the years from generally having very you know promising characterizations and roles in the story at the beginning of the series to that those treads kind of falling off later on the story and then seemingly him kind of doubly down on like reaction to criticism of how he draws or writes female characters by like doubling down and like you know exaggerating their bodies to an absurd degree uh, and over sexualizing characters especially post the time skip and then you know especially frustrating instances in which characters that seem to have promising storylines have fallen short like Tashigi and Rebecca and I think it's a, just a good criticism, just a good assessment of like how Oda's writing his female characters has changed in unfortunate and frustrating ways over the course of the story and how he could really stand to do better to actually listen to criticisms rather than kind of, you know, stubbornly fight back against it by doubling down on problematic elements. Because, as the article rightfully points out, women comprise a huge percentage of One Piece's fan base. There are a lot of avid female fans of One Piece, including the writer of the piece. 
And it is very unfortunate that by kind of naysaying the criticisms and ignoring them also like outright in the SBS is kind of like demeaning them. It kind of makes it feel like Oda is trying to say that, you know, One Piece has always been like a shonen story, a story for like men. And then, one, you know, it was never for girls in the first place. It's only for the girls who like are along for the journey and don't speak up to criticize. And I think that's a very fair point. And I really appreciate the piece. It's like it kind of very well articulates and outlines a lot of criticism and frustrations with how Oda's treatment and depictions of his female characters has were concerned, especially in like the immediate post time skip arts. So I really appreciated that. And the final community shout out I want to mention that, you know, we had Jin talk about his experiences being an Australian and Chinese anime fan and his experiences getting to anime in those countries. Like, I really appreciated profiles of how international anime fandoms have grown. And I really, really like this piece from ANN about how the Indian anime community has kind of grown over the years. Then this piece was written by Nira. Gobakumar, and it's pretty cool to just learn about, you know, and my trips to India, I, I like, I never really, like, in the, especially in the 2000s, I never super was aware of much of an anime culture there. Like, Doraemon and Shinshan were on TV very frequently, as long as, like, Pokemon and DBZ. But yeah, you know, they didn't really seem to have much of a presence uh, in the mainstream or in, like in fandom. But it's really cool to learn that in recent years, thanks to clubs like the Shinai Anime Club, there's been more an effort to like kind of bring fans together and try and push anime more in the mainstream and also to show that there's a really strong community in India for anime. And the CAC has done a really good job of bringing people together. And it's also cool to hear that there have been more legal avenues for Indian fans to discover and watch anime manga legally to the point that there is now like more availability of manga and merchandise in India than before. And like the future is pretty bright for the anime community in India now. And it's cool to learn about, like, local conventions and the Indian community, too, that have been doing a great job of, like, just promoting and being a place to celebrate being a fan. And, yeah, I just really love hearing stories like these about, like, the international communities and fandoms around anime and how they've grown. Especially for, you know, a place close to my heart, like India. Like, it's it's really cool to see how things have grown over the years, especially in the last couple of years. And that does it for the community shoutouts I want to highlight on this episode. And I think this will wrap up our episode as a whole. It's a really fun one, and we have a lot of more fun episodes in store. But until the next time, I think we'll wrap things off and let y'all know where to find us. For sure. But first, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And just once again, big thanks to Jin for coming on our show to talk with us a little bit. And hey, you know what? If you liked our little bit of Dragon Ball talk during the interview, uh, you'll definitely enjoy our next episode because we are going to be covering Akira Toriyama's Manga Theater Collection which in case you don't know, is a huge collection of a lot of his one-shots that was released by Viz last year. And we basically go through the entirety of that collection with uh, some really big guests for that episode. Um, I really can't wait for you guys to listen to that episode. It was a really fun one. And yeah, I just, I can't wait for you guys to listen to that one. 
and uh, you know some some other Akira Toriyama pods that we have coming up besides that one, including an episode on Doctor Slump that'll be coming out right after, and uh, maybe even some bonus uh, stuff on the Patreon that you can expect around that time. We'll let you guys know when that's out specifically, but uh, we we definitely have some great discussions of Akira Toriyama's work coming your way. And yeah, I guess until then, uh, we'll just let you guys know where you can find us. Starting with my good friend Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at LaMaramayasha on Twitter. And it's LaMaramayasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst. Wherever there's a LaMaramayasha, that's you can find me. You can also read my reviews at all-coming.com. Got a lot of reviews coming in. A lot of reviews going out. Look forward to more on there. As well as you can find the other podcasts I do. Lum Squad, the URC Officer Focus Podcast. I do with a good friend, Andrew A.C. Yoshimura. Discussing the wonderful, wacky world of Rumiko Takahashi's URC Yatsura. We've been having a lot of fun covering Viz's recent releases of the manga, and we are incredibly excited to discuss more of the anime now that the movies are on control on Brulee, and also because of the new anime that is going to come later this year. We are so excited that we have a lot of plans for the show, a lot to discuss, so if you want more Rumiko Takahashi, more Yurisayatsu discussion, definitely follow Lump Squad for a lot of cool episodes we've got coming up. And... If you like the art I do, the illustrations I make for the show, and the animations and illustrations I make in general, like you can find all that on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, go over there, click on the podcast page, and uh, get a list of everything I'm doing, including uh, you know past projects I'm not involved in anymore, uh, as well as a bunch of guest spots I've done for other podcasts over the years. So again, uh, there is no shortage of stuff that I'm on if you're interested in that kind of thing. So please, once again... Go to coltoncorner.wordpress.com if you want to check out all my other shows. As for this podcast, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have a chance to listen to select early episodes of the podcast uh, before they come out on our main feed. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited early, and, you know, it's not time for us to put it up on our main feed yet. We'll put it up on there first. Uh, again, that is select episodes of the podcast, mainly because that really depends on what we have done at any given time and uh, how our schedule shakes out and everything. So admittedly, if you want more reliable content, you should really sign up for the $5 tier, where over there you'll get at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. This month's newest bonus pod being uh, the first episode of a new Manga Mavericks book club read-through, sort of a side podcast where I like to go over uh, manga that we may have talked about on the show already and dedicated episodes to, but we basically go through the entirety of them volume by volume. This time, we're sort of returning to a previous read-through because uh, I invited back on my good friend Grant at Grant the Thief on Twitter from such podcasts as The Blade Laking Thieves and uh, Super Senpai Pod to talk about more JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with Part 2, Battle Tendency. The first episode of that read-through is now on our Patreon at the $5 tier, and, you know, I, you, you guys should really sign up for the Patreon and listen to it. You know, I really enjoyed covering uh, Phantom Blood previously with Grant. Uh, and so I'm I'm just so excited to be talking more JoJo with him. And I really think the first episode of our read through of Battle Tendency is like one of our best. We have a lot of really great discussion on just what we love about Battle Tendency in general and how it's basically a great like uh, sort of progression transitioning from Phantom Blood. So if, if you want to hear us talk more about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, 
Again, you should go listen to that at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It is really the best place for you guys to support us if you so wish to. Uh, really helps us keeps the lights on as far as like the podcast and even the website goes. So anything you're able to give helps. And yeah, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, once again, at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where you'll find uh, different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. You know, uh, what do you think about Shrine Comics and all the wonderful comics they have available? What comics are you reading? Uh, you know, are, are you reading anything that you want us to talk about on the show, maybe? Uh, you know, email us anything about manga, the podcast. You know, email us about whatever. We'll read it on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Again, that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a bunch of different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts and even Spotify. You know, if you leave us a rating and a review, you know, it really helps the visibility of our show. And we just love getting feedback from you guys, whether it's positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback in order to make the show that much better. But yeah, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 201 of the Manga Mavericks podcast, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 202. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.